following is another dynamic message by Benny Ham. This exciting teaching can change your life. Now, here's Pastor Benny. Take your Bibles, please. Let's get in the Word. Acts 1 verse 8. But ye shall receive power, verse 8 says of Acts 1. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Lift your hands to heaven and say, Father, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a discerning heart. O Holy Spirit, be my teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now listen carefully. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Every believer will experience the Holy Spirit in three dimensions. Jesus said in John chapter 14, turn with me a moment please to John 14, and I want you to Read with me this remarkable portion in the Gospel of John, John 14, verse 17. He talks about the Spirit of Truth, even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, for he had been talking about the Holy Spirit in verse 16. He said, I will pray the Father. He should give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Notice, he'll abide with you forever. He is with you eternally. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because the world does not see him. The world does not know him because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now notice, he's with you, then he's in you. In Acts 1.8, he's upon you. That's three different experiences. He's with you first. And he's with you before salvation. Before you were saved, it was the Holy Ghost who convicted you. Before you got saved, it was the Holy Spirit who revealed Christ Jesus to you. Before you were saved, it was He who brought you to the cross. He was with you before salvation. Not one of you came to the cross by yourself. Not one of you accepted Christ on your own. In Matthew 16... When Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Lord said, Flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father. In other words, the Holy Spirit revealed Christ to Peter. And so it was that the Holy Spirit revealed Christ to you and I. And so it is that the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to each person who is saved. 
every one of you before you were saved, the Holy Ghost dealt with you before your salvation. He dealt with you by convicting you. Jesus said, he shall testify of me. The Holy Ghost testified of Jesus to your heart and your heart understood and received by faith Christ. And even the faith you were given was given by the Spirit. So when Jesus said that the Spirit of God is with you, he's talking about that the Holy Ghost is with you prior to salvation. He was with you to testify of Him. He was with you to reveal Christ your heart. He was with you in giving you the gospel and the faith for the gospel, to believe the gospel. He even imparted the, the faith you needed. Then you came to the cross. Now, once you came to the cross and once you received Christ Jesus, then you accepted Christ. And when you accepted Christ, by the help of the Spirit and by the power of the Spirit, you were able to accept Christ Jesus, for He revealed Him to you. Now the Holy Ghost comes and dwells within you at salvation. Jesus breathed upon them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And they were born again. After He breathed upon them and said, Receive the Holy Ghost, He then said, Tarry ye in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. A third experience. Now, the second experience is where he said, in you. You know him, for he dwells with you, shall be in you. The Holy Spirit came in you at the moment of salvation. You were filled with the Spirit at the moment of salvation. Now, I am not talking about being endued with power, which we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me explain this to you clearly. The infilling of the Holy Spirit, I'm talking about when He comes in at the new birth. The Holy Ghost comes and fills your heart and you are born again. If we don't have the Holy Ghost, the Scripture says we are none of His. Once we are born again, He comes and dwells within us. We become His temple at salvation. We become His temple at salvation. He's with you before salvation, bringing you to the cross. Now He's in you at salvation, and that in feeling is eternal that he might abide with you forever jesus said in john 14:17 now please pay attention the infilling of the holy spirit is eternal the baptism of the holy ghost is not eternal you say what do you mean keep listening When Jesus said that the Holy Ghost will dwell in you, He said, verse 16, I'll pray the Father, He shall give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever. What is He talking about? He's talking about the infilling of the Holy Ghost at salvation. We become children of God at salvation. He fills our hearts. We become His temple at salvation. He comes and dwells within our hearts 
at salvation. And we say, Jesus just came into my heart. While in fact the Holy Ghost just came into your heart. Now, Jesus said, after salvation, tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power. That is what we charismatics call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What do we mean by that? We mean that endowment with power for witness. And that experience is not eternal because it comes for a season and a reason. People think we are baptized and remain baptized forever. No. You are filled forever. There is the infilling where God fills you within. That is what John fourteen seventeen is talking about. And that, Jesus said in verse 16, is eternal. The Holy Spirit coming, living in us. Now, there is an experience which takes place after that. Where he comes and anoints our life for service. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost comes upon you. So there is an experience where he comes upon you. He's with you first, bringing you to the cross. Now he comes in you and lives in you forever. His presence is in you forever. Now comes another experience where His power comes upon you. Now before I talk about this third experience, which we call the baptism of the Spirit, let me talk to you about the presence of the Spirit. Let me talk to you about the person of the Spirit. Because many precious believers do not know the difference between the presence and the power. When we talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit, we are talking about the person of the Spirit. When we talk about the person of the Spirit, we're talking about the glory of God. In Exodus 33, in fact, you can write this down, verse 18 Moses said to the Lord, show me your glory. In Exodus 34, beginning at verse 5, God reveals his person. He doesn't reveal his power. He revealed himself. Now realize that Moses had seen his power prior to that prayer. Moses saw the power of God at the burning bush. He saw his power in Egypt. He saw his power at the Red Sea. Israel saw the power of God. That's not what Moses asked for in Exodus 33, verse 18. He didn't say, show me your power. He had been seeing his power. He had been seeing it for months. Now he was asking for something that Israel was not asking for. He was saying, Lord, I don't want to see your power. I've been Seeing it, I've seen it now for months, and it shook Egypt and destroyed Egypt. My goodness, what power he saw. Tremendous power he saw. 
But he wasn't asking for the power. He said this. Listen. If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up thence. In verse 15. He said, if your presence isn't with us, I'm not going. Then in verse 18, he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Not your power. I want to see your glory. What did God show him in Exodus 34? The Bible is clear on that. Verse 5 says, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed what? The name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, the Lord the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. What did God do here? He didn't reveal His power. He revealed His heart. When Moses said, show me your glory, God revealed His heart to Moses. That's why in the Psalms we read Psalm 103. It says, Israel knew God's acts, but Moses knew His ways. Israel knew God's power, but Moses knew God's heart. When we talk about the presence of God, we are talking about His heart, Himself, who He is, His nature. What is He like? In fact, what Moses was really saying was, Lord, I have seen what your power is like. Now would you show me what your heart is like? When he was saying, show me your glory, he was saying, I want to see what your heart is like. And the Lord said, the Lord, the Lord is gracious, merciful, long-suffering, compassionate. God revealed his heart of compassion to Moses. He also revealed his justice. For he says, and that by no means will justify the guilty. In other words, I am a just God. God revealed his heart when he revealed himself to Moses. Now, people of God, when we talk about the presence of God, when I say the presence of God, I'm talking about God. I'm talking about the person of Jesus Christ. When we say your presence, we mean you. We mean your attributes. We mean, Lord, the way you are, who you are, what you are, you. Moses said, I want to know you, Lord. I want to see your heart. At salvation, he fills us with himself. We receive him into our hearts. We receive the person into our hearts. And he reveals himself to us day by day from glory to glory. And that glory, that person, that presence changes you and I day by day. We are not changed by the power of God. We are changed through the person of the Lord. 
through the person, through the presence. That's why Paul said, it is that presence that changes you in Corinthians. We are looking into that glass, meaning his word. And, and as we look into that glass, his glory is revealed through his word. He reveals himself to us. And as he reveals himself to us, we are changed by his person. In Psalm 103 verse 7, He revealed his ways unto Moses, but his acts unto the children of Israel. He revealed his ways unto Moses. He, he revealed to Moses what he is like. Once the presence of God is on your life, I'm not talking about the anointing. I'm not talking about the power. I'm not talking about thunders and lightnings and voices and a fire by night and a cloud by day. I'm talking about the person. When the presence of the Lord is in your heart, it is that presence, it is that glory that will nourish you and sustain you. We have fellowship one with another. Our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, John wrote. That fellowship, that glorious fellowship, is what Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians. May the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What is that fellowship? It's that intimacy with the one who lives in you. Now that presence and that person who is the glory, he reveals to you his heart. He reveals to you his ways. That one is sought in the inner chambers of the heart. I'm going to begin dealing with something here now that is so important that if you follow its steps with me, you'll get to the well that you need to get to. Because God wants to give you His power. But you're not going to get there unless you follow the path I'm giving you. The presence of God, which belongs to you all... And is in you all. I've got to say this. Once you, you find him. And you find him in stillness. Not in activity. Be still and know I am God. Psalm 46 says. Be still and when you find him, something will happen. And that something is proof that you're on the way. What will happen to you is what happened to Moses in Exodus 34:29, Because in Exodus 34:29, the Bible says, The moment Moses saw God, he lost sight of himself. In Exodus 34, 29, it says, Moses wished not that his face shone. There was a death happening in him. While there was a revelation of God taking place to him. When God begins to reveal himself to you, you will die. 
If you do not die, you never saw him. Nor have you met him, nor do you know him. Because his revelation to you will bring cancellation to self. When Paul said that I may know him in Philippians, then he began talking about his own cancellation. If you read Philippians 2, you'll find Paul saying that I may know him, and now my desire is my cancellation. The cancellation of self will be the result of the revelation of the glory of God to you. When God reveals himself to you, there will be results in you. And the results will begin with your death. There will be a crucifixion. There will be a death that will take place in you. You will begin to understand Matthew 16. If any man will follow me, let him take up his cross. There will be a death. For the cross is the symbol of death. There will be a death. There will come a death. That's why it says in Exodus 34, 29, Moses wished not. He did not know. His face began to shine. Why? He lost sight of himself. Now you remember, what happened to Adam was the opposite. When the presence of God lifted, <laughs> He said, ooh, I'm naked. The moment God walked out, Adam walked in. He saw himself. The second the presence of God lifted off of him and his wife, they were naked. They began to see self. They found themselves. And when they found themselves, they found that themselves were naked. Because without the presence of God, you're naked. You're not clothed at all. You got no protection, no covering. Now, the presence of God, the person of God, when I say the glory, I mean the presence, I mean the person. So when we talk about the presence of God, that presence which nourishes and sustains you must be sought. Seek me with all your heart and I shall be found of you. You seek the Lord. Even though he is in you, you seek him. And now you begin to understand what the psalmist meant when he wrote in Psalm 42, where he said, deep calls unto deep. Now, something happens in fellowship. Something happens in fellowship. When you begin to seek the presence of the Lord, not the power now, I'm not talking about the power, I haven't said a thing about the power really, except in the introduction. But when the presence of God is sought, fellowship begins. When fellowship begins, words die. When fellowship begins, communion begins. And when communion begins, the mind will be silent and the heart will talk. But when the heart talks, the mouth cannot. Words become inadequate in communion. Communion 
is not talkative. Deep calls unto deep, at the noise of thy water spouts, all of thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Now when communion begins, the presence of God begins to permeate your being. Permeate it in such a way that your very body begins to feel the presence of God. When the presence of God settles in, quietness reigns. Be still and know I am the Lord. You see, the moment the presence of God comes in, there is stillness. Be still and know. You won't know Him till you're still. Be still and know. Be still and then you'll know. You cannot know the Lord till there is that holy communion, holy silence, where silence overtakes you. But it's holy silence. You see, silence is the result of abundance, not the result of lack. The two kinds of people in the church. Those who have too much to say and cannot say it. And those that say so much and have nothing to say. Those that are so full, they have so much to say, can't say it. Abundant in fellowship. Abundant in the presence of God. Abundant in loving Him and praising and Worshipping Him. And now, that abundance can talk. It's communion from the heart now that erupts with glory. Yet there are others who just talk, 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 and they're empty. Nothing to say. Repetitious prayer. Repetitious. And they do what Isaiah said. Because Isaiah said in Isaiah 57.10, he said, You weary yourselves in your own ways. There are people who wear themselves out and end up with nothing. You see people that talk, 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 that are so full of themselves, all they do is talk. They end up so tired that they fall asleep. There is that, that horrible uh, thing that happens when prayer is not prayer. When prayer is all words, they become worn out. And Isaiah 57.10 says, he said, you have wearied yourselves in your own ways. You have just wrung yourself out of strength because of your selfishness and emptiness. You've not waited upon the Lord. You've not waited till His presence begins to permeate your being. You've not obeyed, be still and know I'm God. You've not understood deep calls unto deep and what that means. Remember what the psalmist wrote and how we sing it and how we know it, but very few really know the power of it and the reality of it. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And in that place, and only in that place where the presence of God reigns, no evil shall befall thee. No plague shall come nigh thy dwelling. 
it's there that the promises of Psalm 91 become reality. Everyone wants the promises to be his, but no one wants to abide in that tent. He that dwells, he that abides in that secret place, in that holy place, in that precious place where the presence of God reigns supreme, it is there no evil shall befall him. Oh, I love Job 28 that says, There's a place that no vultures eye hath seen. No lion's whelps have trodden in. That's written in Job 28. In Job 28 he said, There's a place that the vultures eye hath not seen. The lion whelps have not trodden. The fierce lion himself has not passed by it. It is in that place there's protection. Now, there's a big difference between a sound and a voice. Elijah heard the sound, the wind, the storm. God wasn't there. The fire came. The vision came. Oh, God. The earthquake The still small voice. My friend, listen to me. I am not talking about a sound or a noise. I'm talking about a voice. And that voice lives and talks and speaks in quietness, in stillness. It becomes so loud when everything is still. As long as there's noise and earthquakes and thunderings and lightnings and fires around you, you can't hear it. But when you're there by yourself all alone, when you experience this, when you experience the secret place of the Most High, that's where the voice is. And when the voice speaks, you'll hide under that garment. He hid himself. He isolated himself from the world. The presence of God. Isaiah 26 verse 8 and verse 9 says, With my spirit will I seek thee. See, the presence of God is sought with the spirit. That's what the psalmist said in, in Psalm 42. He said, Deep calls unto deep, Lord. Spirit to spirit. Heart to heart. Silence results because now there's abundance. With my spirit have I sought thee. Well, something happens when the presence of God settles in. Something happens when you seek him with all your heart. Like Jeremiah wrote. Like Isaiah said in Isaiah 26, 8 and 9. He says, with my spirit, Lord, have I sought thee. When you seek the Lord like that, His presence comes in. And now when His presence comes in, something happens to you. The activities of your soul begins to quiet down. You see, the presence of God... I'm talking about the presence still, not the power. The presence of God stills the soul. It does not stir the soul. The presence of God 
stills the soul, it does not stir it. And when that settling comes in, when that stillness overtakes you, you'll experience Zephaniah 1.7, there will be a stillness of all activity in your life. A stillness of all activity in your soul. Now silence permeates your being with a holy, holy, mighty, the holy presence of God. The glory of God begins to permeate your being. Once that happens, once God's presence begins to invade your heart and still your soul, something else happens and something I have experienced many times and something that I did not understand when I was a young man, but I began to experience the power and fullness of it to where I began to slowly understand the ways of the Lord. How often we walk into God's presence and we think like Jacob, we have to do something to gain a blessing. God waits till all the doing is done. How often we wrestle with God and not realize that the longer we wrestle, the more we lose. What did God do? He touched his thigh. And when he touched his thigh, what did Jacob do? He had to lean on the Lord. And when he was leaning, only then God said, now you're Israel. God only speaks when you quit wrestling. God speaks when you start leaning dependence on Him. So as His presence begins to permeate you and permeate your being, self-effort now is swallowed up in the workings of God. Suddenly, His workings, His presence begins to Silence effort. Self-effort is now overpowered. Self-effort now is swallowed up. You can no longer do anything. You have to rest in the done work of a cross. Let me help you understand what I just said. I began to pray. This was back in the 70s. I began to pray. And I always liked to pray with worship. And so I played a beautiful tape that somebody had given me in those days. And as, as I was worshiping the Lord and as I was on my knees, and I would spend hours and hours in those years, suddenly the presence of God began to so permeate my being till I began to feel, literally feel, and this is the first time I felt it then. I felt it many times since. But Madame Guillaume describes it as going within herself. I don't know how else to describe it. It's as though you feel like you're being, being pulled into a depth so great that all is quiet. And the presence of God began to so permeate me. My body began to feel the glory, not just my spirit. And the presence of God was so heavy that tears became my language. 
I couldn't talk. I couldn't think. I was just wrapped in this heavenly glory. When just for no reason, and how it is we all like Jacob want to do something because we think God desires it. I whispered, I whispered, hallelujah. When I did, it lifted. The presence broke just like this. When I whispered. And slowly, as time progressed, I began to understand that even our speaking in those moments is rejected. It grieves the Holy Spirit. Because the flesh has to interrupt that sacred moment. How often the flesh creeps back in to the Holy of Holies. Because when the flesh arises, God walks out. He demands death to the flesh. Death to the flesh at times is so deep that even a thought is rejected. I will not forget the first service I ever attended of Catherine Cummins. When the presence of God was so rich on me, I'm standing there literally being covered with a blanket. And a woman got up there from Australia and talked about her healing, how she had been healed of a heart condition. I didn't say it. I thought it. And I thought, I don't believe it. The second I thought, I do not believe it, the presence lifted off of me. But the moment I thought, I'm sorry, Lord, came right back. A thought will grieve him at times. In that presence, all flesh is forbidden. Now, once once self-effort is silenced, and once self-effort is swallowed in God's presence and workings, and once self-effort is no more, Something will happen. Something that is amazing. I remember a a young man at an Assembly of God school in Florida. I had just gotten into the ministry. And, And he was very sincere. I had called some of the kids down to pray for him. And this kid was just shouting at God. Crying, screaming, oh Jesus, and he's really sincere. I grabbed him and said, young man, just stop all that. God is not deaf. I said, just seek him, don't scream at him. What he was taught is, pursue God, but that pursue is all flesh. Pursuing him with the soul, the flesh, the strength, the ability. Nothing happens. You know why? I think people need to read Tojo's book on pursuing God. And he said this. This one line says it all. You cannot seek God till God has sought you. You cannot seek him till he has touched your heart to seek him. There's got to be that touch first. No man can seek God till God has sought the man. How often we seek God without him even calling us in. Now, 
Hear this. When you are there, when you find him, for now you have sought him with your heart. You have waited, truly waited upon the Lord. I've been asked many, many times, how do you wait? I said, just wait. <laughs> well, how? Just wait. What do you mean wait? Wait. Simplest thing I know is to wait. You wait for doctors and you wait for lawyers and you wait for professionals. Just wait for the Lord. Just be quiet and wait. But what do I do? Just wait. He's not blind. He can see you there. Don't knock on the door. Just wait. What? Do? Just wait. He'll not disappoint you. While you're waiting, he'll say, come in. And when he calls you, he'll give you the faith you need to get in. The price we pay is waiting. The price isn't prayer. Because once you begin to pray, and I'm talking about pray, real prayer, not talk. A whole lot of people talk, but they're not praying. They beg. Nothing happens. All they're doing is they're wearing themselves out. Isaiah 57, you have worn yourself out. You've wearied yourselves in your ways. And when they're done and saying, Amen, God hasn't even showed up. Because they haven't paid the price of waiting. All they did is shout and do all the flesh wants to do. And then because they have satisfied the guilt of the flesh, they walk out and think God heard them. That man, that woman, hadn't even begun to pray because all they did is let the flesh talk and wear themselves to the ground with it. But when you wait, and as you're waiting, your heart will be touched at a moment. Something will happen to your heart. And when that something happens, you will know. And you will know. Believe me, nobody has to tell you. You will know. The Holy Ghost is showing up. He'll touch you. And that's how it begins. And now you begin to seek Him. And now as you seek Him, you get quieter and quieter. And your words become less and less. And you begin to understand what Ecclesiastes meant when he said, Let your words be few. Look, there is a place in prayer where you have a whole lot less to say. And the less you say, the deeper you're in. And the deeper you're in, the less you say. And suddenly, as you are deep in, you have nothing to say. Why you have nothing to say? Because by that moment, your heart is bubbling with such glory and such joy and such fellowship and such expectancy that everything you thought you wanted is done. Faith has now taken hold of you. I'll explain that in just a second, but keep listening. And that moment, self-effort stops. But now... At that moment, listen to this, listen carefully. The highest 
spiritual attainments. Everything you've wanted, everything you've cried for, everything you have desired is now easily attained. Why? Because the highest spiritual attainments are the easiest to reach and to receive. Because now the presence of God begins to impart. You began with desires and you began with groanings and utterings and you began with your heart crying and your being crying out for many things that the Lord knows you need. But as you entered into His presence, suddenly you realize, ah, it's done. And now God begins to impart to you what you have not asked for. I'm going to tell you something. And I hope and pray to God you won't miss this. I have never known a time to ask for one thing I wanted in the presence of God. Because by the time I got there, it was all answered. Because the second Jesus showed up, I had nothing to say. I had nothing to say. Because suddenly, all I thought was, I, things that I wanted, all that I thought was important, suddenly was just answered. And all I could do in there is receive things I never even would have had the faith to ask for. Because when Jesus shows up, he will do more above and beyond all you can ask or imagine. That happens when his presence is there. See, D.L. Moody was crying out for God's power one day. And the presence of God came so strong on him that before he could ask for the power, it was there. And it was so mighty on him that he said, Lord, if you keep giving me anymore, if you give me anymore, I will die. Please take your hand away from me. There is a place where the presence of God becomes so rich that you will say, please take your hand away or I'll die. That happened to me. I'll never forget it as long as I live. In Toronto, Canada, one night, when the presence of God came on me in such a manner that I felt a physical hand touch my chest. And when that physical hand touched my chest, I felt as though my body was about to explode with God's power. Which at that moment, I was so overwhelmed. I said, no, Lord, I cannot take anymore. There is a place you say, no more. Or like the rabbi who wrote Catherine Kuhlman a letter one day. And he said, Miss Kuhlman, please quit praying for me. If you pray anymore, I would die. She could not understand what he meant. So he showed up to the shrine auditorium one day and he came back to see her. And she said, why did you write me that letter for? Oh, Miss Kuman, he said, I had asked to pray for me when I got saved because he had met his Messiah. He said, when you began to pray, he said, such glory, such power came on me. He said, I can't handle it. You see that presence I'm talking about. That's what happens to you when the presence of God begins to permeate you. Now I come to something very important. Turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. And I want to show you something so divine. Something so glorious. 
something so thrilling. In Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 4, we find this most remarkable truth. You see, if you can only find His presence, you won't need anything else. You won't need to go searching and reading every book about how to be used of God. If you find His presence, if you find Him, it's all that happened to me really. I just found Jesus. When I saw him, it was done. Before God began to use me, I read only one little book about maybe no more than 20 pages. The only book I ever read before God ever used me was a book a precious woman gave me in Canada called Seven Reasons Why God Used the Almudi. Besides the Bible, I read only one book. Before God ever touched my life. That little book that woman gave me. Seven reasons why God used the Al-Mudi. The Lord began to slowly lead me as a young man into what I'm talking to you about. I began to discover his presence and Jesus became all in all. He was the one I was seeking. When the presence of God came on me. He gave me that burden to preach, to minister. I always wanted to... Preach the gospel and just win souls if even it was on the street, just handing out tracts. But I didn't know what kind of minister God had for me. But one day I began to experience what I'm about to read to you. And it took me years to really understand what I'm about to give you. Verse 4, Habakkuk 3, and his brightness was as the light. He had horns, bright beams, is what translation, one translation says. He had horns coming out of his hand, bright beams out of his side, that translation said. The brightness, the light, the presence of God. Now, He had horns coming out of his hand. Still talks about his glory. And there was the hiding of his power. There was the hiding of his power. The power of God is hid within his presence. The sad thing is, some do not know how to tap into the power. The presence of God is easily attained. All you have to do is seek Him. That's very easy. But the most difficult thing for some people is how do I tap into the power? I'll never forget. A precious man of God, one of his great meetings, years ago, preached for two hours and took a whole hour to take the offering. By 11 o'clock, he's still preaching. A third of his crowd had left. People were walking out while he was preaching and teaching. At the end of that service, he began to sing and worship. There is a river that flows from deep within. And the crowd joined. And now the people began to worship God. And the presence of God came. And people began to weep and cry. And no one walked out on him now. It was nearly midnight. 
And he's singing, there's a river. People's bodies tired and worn out. But now the presence of God began to refresh the people. Refresh their souls and their quicken their minds and body. That poor man, in his greatest moment in the service, did not know what to do. And said, good night. He could find the presence, but didn't know what to do when it got there. He waited all night for the presence. When the presence came, he just didn't know what to do. All he could do is dismiss the crowd. In his finest moment in the service, he didn't know what to do. People of God, let me tell you a few things that you've got to understand here. This is vital truth and sacred truth. The presence of God that comes upon you is eternal. But that presence that comes upon you, which nourishes your life, enables you to walk with God. It is that presence that enables you to pray. It is that presence that enables you to understand what you read when you open the scripture. It is that presence that gives you love for your brothers and sisters. It is that presence that keeps you as the apple of the eye. It is that presence that enables you to forgive when persecuted. It is that presence that keeps you a Christian. It is that presence that keeps you away from the devil and sin. But if you should ever rebel against the Lord, if you should ever willfully sin against Him, that presence will leave your life in a moment of time. For you'll grieve the Holy Spirit. The scripture says that the presence of God left Saul. Now listen carefully. The presence of God is in you forever. I, I didn't say on you. I said in you. I'll get to on you in just a second. Now, when you find his power within his presence, and if you know how to tap into his power, if you know how, and the Lord will show you how if you're faithful, that power will come on you. When the power comes on you, you'll experience Acts 1.8. When you experience Acts 1.8, you'll experience also that that power... Not presence. That power comes on you because of the presence in you. No one qualifies unless the presence of God is in you. That's what qualifies you for the power. When the power of God comes on you, that power comes upon you for service. Not for fellowship with the Lord. All you need to fellowship with the Lord is His presence. It is the presence of God that maintains and nourishes you. But the power of God uses you. It's for use. It's for service. The power of God comes on you. And now you become a vessel in the hands of the Lord. Being used of God. And that power will not bless you. Nor touch you. It will bless and touch somebody else. All you become is a vehicle, a hose in the hands of the Holy Ghost. 
The water flows through that hose and blesses people's lives. The power of God will flow through that vessel. That anointing is on that vessel. Now, the presence of God and the power of God are not the same. When the presence of God comes on you, it causes you to be. When the power of God comes on you, it causes you to do, not to be. I need the presence of God to be. I need the power of God to do. But if ever the presence of God should leave you. This is a mystery that I don't even understand myself. But all I know is this. The power of God is a gift. And that gift will come back even if the presence departs. For once you are trusted with the power, you are trusted with that power for life. Not forever, but for life. As long as you live. And you can understand something. That power, which is a blessing to others through you, if the presence of God should leave you, will become your enemy and will destroy you. It is possible. And it has happened. Well, Saul lost the presence, but the gift never left him. And when he came among the prophets, that gift was stirred up in him. That gift was stirred up because the gifts of God are given without repentance. The presence of God is given as long as you walk faithfully with purity of heart, purity of life. As long as you obey the Lord, that presence will never leave your life and it's yours eternally. Take not thy spirit from me, David cried. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. That is our prayer. That's my prayer every time, believe me, I minister. I pray that prayer more than any other prayer. I think, take not thy spirit from me. As long as the presence of God is with you, everything is all right. But now, the power of God. If the presence of God leaves you, once the power of God is on your life, once you have been entrusted with His power, you will be given that power. Every time you stand behind a pulpit, every time you stand and preach the gospel, even though the gospel you're preaching is being preached through a rejected vessel, yet God will honor His Word and not honor you. And that, my brother, will at the end bring destruction to you. Be careful what you ask for. Be very careful what you ask for. It is possible for the presence of God to leave. And when the presence of God to leave, sin reigns. And when sin reigns in that life, that same man can get behind the pulpit on Sunday and preach with an unction and see signs and wonders. And on Monday he's right back doing what he did last week. 
But how long? God's mercy, my friend. God's grace is greater than we know. His long-suffering is something beyond comprehension. But there'll come a day he'll be cut off without remedy. The day will come unless that man repents. And we do have the glorious story of Samson. We have the truth that it's possible for the presence of God to return. It may cost you your life though. For he died when the presence of God came back on him. It was too late to minister to anybody else. But the great thing about Samson, the presence of God left him. But because he repented, the presence of God came back, but he was not trusted any longer to be used. The presence came back so he can stand in the presence of God forever. But he was never trusted again to be used and was dead the second the presence of God in him. There's a danger. I've seen great men lose the presence of God and stand behind pulpits and preach with a powerful anointing on the life and healings took place and people got saved. And those same men walked out and sinned the next morning. Could not get away from their devils. It wasn't long before they were dead. When we talk about the presence of God, we're talking about that which maintains and nourishes and keeps you. But in that presence you find his power. But be, be on your watch and be careful. Because if you don't keep the presence of God, if you don't live a holy life, that power that was so glorious on you yesterday can be your biggest enemy tomorrow. Now, how do we tap in that power? Let me tell you something. It doesn't take a week. It takes a moment. It takes one moment. Like Julio Rubal who got saved while preaching. And miracles began to happen while he was preaching. A young man went to Los Angeles, California from Bolivia. He wasn't saved. He was hungry. But he found Jesus standing outside one of Catherine's meetings in, in Los Angeles. He found Jesus standing outside the door of the Shrine Auditorium when he found Jesus, the presence of God came so strong on him that he did what I do every single time on the platform. He got up on a chair and said, Jesus is here. And tapped into the power of God by faith. And when that power began to flow through, people began to get healed outside. He just was, he just been saved. And began to preach the gospel. People began to get healed. And somebody comes running in and tells Miss Kuman, Miss Kuman, there's a young man out there on a chair. Miracles are happening while he's preaching outside your service. And Catherine rejoiced and said, let it happen over and over again. He went back to Bolivia and began to fill the biggest stadiums in Bolivia. He shook his own nation and country. And one day, after he was with me on this is your day, he said, Pastor Benny, I'm going to Colombia and when I go, I will be killed. I said, why are you going? He said, because Jesus told me to go and preach the gospel to the drug dealers and they will kill me. I said, Julio, you've got a wife and children. Oh, he said, Brother Benny, what is the Christian life about anyways? It's a pleasure to die for the Lord. And he went to Colombia and won many of those drug dealers and the others killed him. God did not have to take that man to a Bible school. 
He got saved and five minutes later, he's anointed. It doesn't take long, my friend, to tap into the power of God. When you find the presence of God, it's easy. Because when you find the presence of God, all you have to do is reach out and touch that power. And that happens by faith. We step out by faith. It's at that moment there's a letting go of everything. There's a moment in my service when all that I thought was faith dies. And all that is true faith comes alive. You see, you walk into the service believing. Great service. And you pray all that day. Knowing God will heal his people. Knowing the sick will be healed. Knowing the anointing will come. Knowing God will do my Knowing souls will be saved. But all that knowing suddenly dies. Because it's your knowing. It's your believing. It's your praying. It's your doing. It's your agonizing. But I learned a lesson years ago. In Kansas City, Missouri. When Jesus said to me. Quit praying. And start yielding. Now it's not that he was saying don't pray. He was saying let your prayer. Lead you to surrender. Prayer ought to bring us to that place. Where we just. Because often we think our praying has done it. No, not our prayer. His mercy. His compassion. All we did is come to the place where we've, we've disrobed ourselves while we called upon Him. We've disrobed ourselves while we sought Him. We've disrobed ourselves as we yearned for Him. And now His presence comes and suddenly self is off. Jesus is there. And when Jesus is there, there's no more prayer, no more calling. There's surrender. You surrender to the Master. That surrender, that amazing moment, sometimes it'll take me two seconds, just like that. If I don't miss that moment, I don't miss it. And I pray I'll never miss it. But there is a moment when the presence of God begins to permeate my being. And then she'll start to play Jesus all glorious. And when that blessed presence of God begins to fall, there is a moment. Sometimes it would go for two seconds, maybe three seconds, maybe four or five seconds. I said something in Korea and the Lord had to shock me that night I have never known that moment to last more than 20 seconds in any time I've ever ministered in the last 30 years of my life but something happened to me in Korea the Lord heard me say that in the morning and that same night the presence of God stayed that, that blessed moment when heaven opens stayed at least at least two minutes it's as though uh, well, let me say it like this. It's like a, a heavenly language because you can't describe it. But I'll try. 
it's just where for that short time the crowd disappears the people vanish and I vanish with them and suddenly Jesus becomes overwhelmingly real beyond reality the word real is weak to describe that moment Jesus becomes so overpowering where you lose completely you lose uh, awareness of where you are who's there who's with you it's as though a light just runs through you and at that moment Jesus is all in all and I just reach out and just touch his hand not physically because I think you understand what I mean but may I tell you it's actually more powerful than physically it's that moment like John had where he said I saw him and I felt like a dead man but that only lasts with me for just seconds in Korea though it lasted longer and it overwhelmed me and at that moment he becomes so real that nothing in that auditorium nothing on the platform nothing anywhere all around just it just vanishes it just goes out of sight and he's there but it doesn't last long and at that moment I step out and when I step out it's a total yieldedness it's a complete surrender and when that happens it's instantaneous release of power and that's when the power of God just hits that whole room and people begin to feel God's presence everywhere. There's, there's a moment of total release of the power of God. It's happened in every country I've gone to. It's not dependent on buildings. It's not dependent on music. It's not dependent on anything. I've stood before three million people and had that moment. And when I did, those way in the back were healed. People that didn't even know how to worship Jesus were healed. People that didn't even know how to call his name were healed. Why? Because something happened at that moment in that service. His faith comes alive at that moment. And when that moment comes, a river of life flows out to you and rushes through you. And suddenly, his faith becomes alive. And such power begins to flow to where your body feels as though rushing rivers are flowing through your body. And you speak with such authority. You speak with such perfection. Suddenly, he begins to show you what's happening in the building. There are times he will show you details about people, about their problems, physical and emotional and spiritual. Just for ministry. That anointing will flow throughout that service for a reason and a season. And then you walk out of there. The presence of God still within you. But the power of God begins to lift off of you. Slowly, slowly. And you get to your hotel and you're awed and amazed at what God did that night. You're no longer the same man who stood behind the platform. For now you're back in the valley. Awed and amazed at what God did on the mountaintop. 
dear Lord, I give you praise for what you've done. I give you praise for what you've done. I give you praise for what you're doing now. I give you praise for what you're doing now. Bring the people there, Lord. Lord, you allowed Peter, James, and John that moment. And then they lived in it day after day, time after time. They were able to step in and receive. Come boldly into the presence of God, the throne room, and receive. We're in time of grace, a season of great abundance. I give you praise, Jesus. will descend on you and fill your heart afresh fill your life again with his mighty presence out of your most being will flow that river of living water filling and restoring you nourishing and refreshing your being Jesus, Jesus, wonderful Jesus. Go with me to Acts 1-8, please. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, unto the uttermost part of the earth. The power of God is promised to you. It's automatic. It is yours immediately after you are filled with the Spirit. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, I told you last night... There are three glorious experiences that belong to every believer. In John fourteen seventeen, the Lord said that the Holy Spirit will be with you, then in you, and in Acts 1, 8, upon you. He's with you before salvation to convict you. He's with you before salvation, re revealing the need for salvation. He is with you before salvation, bringing you to the cross of Jesus. He is with you before salvation, revealing Jesus to you. He is with you before salvation, testifying of Jesus. Now, He brings you to the cross. By His power and leading, you become a child of God. Born again. Now, His presence fills you and you understand what Jesus meant when he said in John 14, 17, He's with you and now in you. 
He's in you at salvation. He's with you before salvation. But there is a third experience where he comes upon you for service. He comes upon you for service, and that's what Acts 1.8 talks about. Now, I told you last night that he's in you eternally, but he's not upon you eternally. He's in you forever. John 14.16, the, the Lord said that he may abide with you forever. So the Holy Spirit is in you forever. He's not upon you forever. He's upon you for a reason and a season. He's upon you for service. So when we say upon you, we talk about the power of God being upon us, not the presence of God being in us. The presence of God is in you while His power is on you. And when I talk about the presence of God, I'm talking about the person of God. I'm talking about Himself, the person. So the presence of God comes in at salvation, remains in you eternally. John 14:16, that He might abide with you forever. Now, when we talk about Acts 1:8, we're talking about the power of God upon us, not in us, upon us, and that is for a reason and a season. But the power of God comes upon us only, only as we are filled and receive Christ Jesus. And the presence of God fills us. We become His temple. The moment we become His temple, then we will receive the power of God. Now, I want to take you a little further this morning because there is a question left with something I said last night that I did not want to deal with last night and I want to this morning. Let me help you understand. Now, remember that I said also last night now, the power of Almighty God, once you find it, and you find it when you find His presence, for remember Habakkuk 3.4 says that the power of God is hid within His presence. Habakkuk 3.4 says the power of God is hid within His presence. Would you say that with me? Habakkuk 3.4 says God's power is hid within His presence. Now, there is the hiding of His power we read in that verse. Once we tap into the power of God by faith, remember that the presence of God comes as we seek Him, while the power of God is released as we step out in faith and yield, surrender. I repeat, the presence of God comes as we seek Him, seek Him with all your heart, you'll find me. So as you seek Him, you find Him. That's His presence. Once His presence is there, you qualify for the power. Now the power of God, as you seek Him, as His presence comes, as His presence permeates your being, there is a moment, there is a place where you can reach out and receive His power which is hid within His presence. His presence is sought 
His presence comes also through worship. Now, now, let me help you understand something else that I need to say even though I wasn't planning on it. And I pray the Lord will help you follow me because this is sometimes difficult, especially when we deal with spiritual things that are deep. When Jesus comes into your heart at salvation, His presence fills your being. You become His temple. Even though His presence is within you eternally, there will be times when you are not aware of His presence. There will be times, even though you are the temple of the Spirit 24 hours a day, forever, Jesus never leaves you. He comes in, He comes in eternally, He's there. He will only leave you if you leave Him. He'll reject you if you reject Him, remember that. If you deny Him, He'll deny you. But as the presence of God is within, as you walk with Him faithfully, that presence will always be there. Now, you may not be aware of it all the time. But as you seek Him in prayer, His presence will manifest. But His presence doesn't come from heaven on you. It's already in you. He just manifests that presence which is already within you. Out of your most innermost being will flow. Out of your being will flow. In the last days I will pour out my spirit. God didn't say I'll pour down. The spirit of God comes and fills your heart. He's always there. God doesn't go and come back. He doesn't come and leave you. No, he's always there. So when we seek him in prayer, the presence in us is manifested. It overflows out. That's what worship does too. As we worship the Lord, His presence begins to manifest. The presence already in us becomes real to us. We begin to sense it, feel it, know it. Because our spirit, at times, filled with Christ, alive in God, that life in our spirit at times will not affect our body. And our natural surroundings. But when we seek Him, worship Him, that same presence which abides in our hearts becomes real now to our soulish and physical realm. Is that clear? Wonderful. Now, that presence is there eternally. And that presence is manifested as we seek Him and worship Him. Now, once the presence of God is there, we qualify for the power of God. The power of God comes on you for a season and a reason. But now here's something. The minute you tap into that power for the first time, if you are able to tap into it that first time, God gives it to you as a gift. This is where I left you last night. All right, I'll take myself as an example. I get into worship. The presence of God is manifested. I reach out and tap into it, that blessed power, and the anointing comes. And usually it doesn't take me more than two seconds. 
Literally, I can tell you that. I can tap into the power of God in two seconds. Once the power of God becomes real, <laughs> that's it. That quickly. And there is a moment when Christ Jesus becomes overwhelmingly real. At which point you surrender. Once you surrender, the power is there. Immediately. And at that moment, what you thought was faith dies and his faith comes alive in you instantly. You start to do things and say things you could not and would not dare do outside that blessed, blessed sacred anointing. Because suddenly, the anointing comes on you and when the anointing comes on you, it comes with God-given faith. Because what happens is, when Jesus becomes overwhelmingly real, so does his faith become real. So what you thought was faith suddenly vanishes. And now living divine faith surrounds your being. Everything in you just sharpens up like that. You start to move in a realm that only seconds ago was impossible. Seconds ago. Now you're moving in it like this without even thinking. And as you move in, everything changes. You become crystal clear. All the gifts of the Spirit are alive in you. Every gift, all the nine gifts are now in full operation. It's like you are full speed. It's like the shuttle taking off. Everything is working. All the lights are on. And that will last two, three hours, four hours as long as you minister. But there, there are moments during the time of ministry when you can feel a, a decline and as you worship, it will pick it right back up again. Keep listening. Now, as you minister for years, you become accustomed to yielding to the power of God. But there's a danger here. There's a danger. What you don't realize is the power of God becomes a gift. The gifts of God are without repentance. Now you, you've qualified in the beginning to receive that power. But along the way, you have been trained by the Holy Spirit to step in. Now here's where it gets a little foggy, but I'll try to help you. To me, it's crystal clear, because I live it. And I would never dare, I would never dare do what I'm telling you right now that I can do. Don't miss what I just said. I would not dare do what I'm telling you is possible to be done. Because if I should, I would grieve the Lord. But there is a place where you become so accustomed to yielding that you can yield and tap into that power without the presence of God being there. It's almost as though God will honor you because He honors His Word. There are preachers who dismiss the presence and can walk right in and minister and never even worship Jesus for a second. Why? Because when they started, they started right. When they started, the presence of God led them. But the presence of God can be ignored once they become highly trained in surrender. There's where the danger is. 
And so individuals that lose the presence of God because of sin, and they have, believe me, there are people who have. No different than Saul who can still prophesy after losing all the, the presence of the Lord and having a devil live in him. But what happens is, they lose the presence of God because of sin, but they have not forgotten how to yield. They know how to surrender. That's the scary part, that they can surrender to a Lord who has already rejected them. And because he honors his word more than he honors them, he will allow his power to flow. For he has magnified his word even above his name. Now you think about that. You see, the name of the Lord deals with his presence. Remember what he said to Moses in Exodus. When Moses in Exodus 33, 18 said, show me thy glory, God said, I will reveal to you my name. Read it for yourself. Exodus 33, 18, he said, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will reveal to you my name. And when the Lord comes back in Exodus 30, 34, 5, he revealed his name. And what was his name? Himself. The Lord. The Lord is. Merciful, gracious, long suffering. God reveals himself. So when we say the name, we mean the person. The name of the Lord deals with his person, his presence, his glory. So when we say the presence of God, we're saying his name, his person. Jesus said, go in my name, go in my presence, go in my stead. So when we say in Jesus' name, we bring his presence on the scene. Now he said in his word that he magnifies his word above his name. In other words, if his word is preached and his presence ignored, he will still magnify his word. That's an awesome truth. In other words, please forgive me, but I'm going to say something going to shock you. A demon-oppressed pastor can preach the word and see results. Because God magnifies his word. He honors his word. He doesn't honor the man. He honors his word. But see, that man along the way learned how to yield. He can yield now because he's been trained by the Holy Ghost how to yield while he was walking with God. But along the way, he lost God's presence and lost God's favor because of sin. Jesus has been gone a long time ago. The Holy Ghost left. He's been rejected. But now he's an eloquent preacher eloquent speaker, knows how to surrender to a Lord whom he does not know anymore. That's scary. There's been times I walked up on a platform and I knew I could surrender on the spot, but I wouldn't dare do it. I waited for Jesus to show up. Because when you wait for Jesus, your surrender is acceptable. There are surrenders that are unacceptable. He won't accept you if you surrender without Him being there. So, I wait for the Lord because His presence. And this is why I say to Him, never take your presence from me. Never take your presence from me. Because as long as your presence is with me, I have favor. 
I'm accepted. Because that power isn't mine. That power will not always be there. Eternally, the presence of God is mine. That's all I care about. But I have become so trained to yielding. That's why I say to people, and, and some of them don't even know why I say it, and don't even understand it. It's true. I can easily yield to the Lord. I can yield right now. I can quit preaching right now and yield, and there will be miracles in this room. But I would grieve the Lord. This is not the time for it. See, I used to hear Catherine say, she'd say, miracles can begin right now, but if I should pray for the, for the, for the sick, I would grieve the Lord. I'd say, why do you say that? Why? I could never understand why she said that. And she said it because of what I'm talking about right now. You see, there are times I walk on the platform, I don't have to lead in any praise and worship. I am ready there and then to release faith. But if I should, I would be completely out of God's will. Because, you see, our job as preachers is to bring people to the throne room. Because all it becomes, if the throne room is not there, all it becomes is then entertainment. I'm not here to entertain. We're here to minister. You see, if a man of God walks on a platform and releases his gift, he has just grieved God. Because what that man needs to do is honor Jesus. Worship Jesus. Let Jesus be the center, not the gift. Let Jesus be the Lord, not the gift. Let Jesus be all in all, not the gift. Because if he releases the gift, suddenly the gift becomes God. And now all he's done is magnify the gift, but not the giver of the gift. And the next thing you know, that man will become a God to the crowd. And next thing you know, that man will begin to sell his gift for money. And next thing you know, that gift becomes his source of income. It is no longer Jesus. It's let's use the gift to make money. It becomes merchandise now. The ministry walks out and business walks in. When God rejects it, he curses it. That man can pray the prayer of faith on a piece of cloth. He is not honored. He has no favor. But God is honoring his word. How is he honoring his, his word? Not by, by anointing the cloth. He's honoring his word by letting that man receive power that is a gift. Which was given him when he was faithful. It just was not lifted off of him because of God's faithfulness. But that cloth and that water and that whatever object he uses, God will release his power on it. Not for the man's sake. Even though the man is speaking what God has not spoken. The man with the gift becomes the authority. God will literally honor what the man says, even though he doesn't honor the man. Heaven will back him up when God has rejected him. Don't you remember what Jesus said? 
Lord, Lord, in your name. I never knew you. We didn't know. I never knew you. You didn't know. I, you, I never knew you. Depart from me. In your name, we pro in your name. Yeah, I let you use my name, but I don't even know your name. You were allowed to use my name, but I don't know your name. That is scary. Why is it scary? It's scary because the man has been given legal right. When he walked faithfully, God gave him that legal right. He has every right legally to say, in Jesus' name, and things will happen. In other words, he can say, in Jesus' name, anoint this water. And sell it for a hundred dollars. He just made merchandise of the gift of God. He said, well, how does God allow it? You don't understand. God Almighty honors His Word. And His promise says that the gift is without repentance. The promise says it's not taken away. The gifts and callings are without repentance. That shows me how faithful he is to his word. How committed God is to his law. But the danger is the man becomes the authority and can speak anything he wants. And God has nothing to do with it. God says, all right, he, he's got the, the legal right to use my name and has the legal right to release my power. But I have rejected him. He's actually hopeless. So the day comes, he shows up. Lord, Lord, in your name. Who are you? I don't even know you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Workers of what? Yeah. You sold my power. You despise my name. You abused the authority I gave you. You are workers of iniquity. You have lied to my people. You have built yourself an empire through lies. You workers of iniquity. Anyone who sells the anointing is a worker of iniquity. Now, you ready for more? Lift your hands to heaven. Father, I give you praise. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for helping your people realize what we're talking about here and understand these deep truths. Lord, that we would be careful. That as your, your anointing comes on us, that we would not abuse it. That we'll always glorify you and honor you and worship you. Keep our hearts pure in Jesus' name. God's people said. Now, God desires to anoint you. His will is to anoint you. But I'm here to tell you what the Word says, too, is that there are dangers. Not many have been able to live a life acceptable because they've abused what God gave them. Now, if that person doesn't repent, God will kill him. I know I'm not supposed to say these things. 
I'm just telling you what the Bible says. God will take him out. If that man doesn't repent. And at times, even if they repent and it's too late, they still die. Like Samson. He died while he was repenting. Saul was killed. Be careful. God is not as weak as people make him to be. There's a limit to God's patience. If you see some preacher offering you holy this and holy that, shut him off. He's making merchandise of the anointing. Never send an offering to get some anointed something from the mail. But that's a priceless, precious. <sighs> the anointing. How dare they sell the anointing? Here's an anointed this and anointed that. Please quit it. Go raise money doing it the right way. Don't grieve the Lord like that. Now let's talk about the anointing. Are you ready? Numbers 18 verse 8. Come on, let's go. Oh, dear Jesus. I get all stirred up at times. Did I help you understand something this morning? Yeah. You see, you see, you... You, you, you see the danger because someone gets trained in surrender. And then they surrender, but God is not there. They are surrendering to the gift rather than the giver of the gift. That's what the danger is. Now, the anointing is necessary. I can't do without it. Neither can you. Now, what is the anointing? When we say the power of God, what do we mean by that? The power of God, ladies and gentlemen, has to do with His acts, not His ways. It has to do with the acts of God, not the ways of the Lord. The ways of the Lord deal with His heart, His nature. That's what you and I should be after, knowing his heart. What is he like? That's what Moses said. He said, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your heart. I want to know what you're like. He had seen his power manifested in Egypt already. Moses knew his power when he said, show me your glory. He had seen his power displayed. So did Israel see his power displayed. But now Moses said, I don't want to see your power, Lord. I want to see your glory this time. I want to know what are you like. I know what, I know what your power is like. But now tell me what are you like. And God revealed himself in Exodus 34. But let's not, let's not push aside the power of God and say, well, we don't need that. No, no. Because the power of God is for service. It's what will convince others that the gospel is true. You see, you know God's presence. The crowds only see His power. And it is the power that draws them to the presence. They go from power to presence. It's the power of God that convinces them there is a God. It's the power of God that says there is a throne room. It's the power of God that says the cross is true. 
And that power is flowing through us. They saw the power of God when Peter was preaching. They felt the power of God when he was preaching. They were convicted and said, what must we do to get saved? They saw the power of God when that man was healed. 5,000 were saved. Who received the benefits of that power? Not Peter, not John, but the crippled man. He felt the power go through his body. All Peter and John did it say in Jesus' name. They released the presence of God and there the power of God was released upon that man who was healed. So we need God's power. Now I'm talking now about the power of God. Every Christian has the presence of God. But what is the power for? The power for is for service. It's for demonstrations. The demonstrations of the Spirit. Now, the Bible says something amazing. In Numbers 18, verse 8. Oh, I love this. This is so glorious. You see, we cannot do without it. Look at that. Well, let me just read the whole verse. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Behold, I also have given thee the charge of mine heave offerings, of all the hallowed things of the children of Israel. Unto thee have I given them by reason of the anointing. Everything you and I receive from heaven, we receive because of the anointing. Everything that has come your way, comes your way because of the of the anointing, and that is the reason why I say we need the anointing. Deliverance comes because of the anointing. Rescue comes because of the anointing. It's the anointing that breaks the bondage of hell, the bondage of Satan. It's the anointing that brings healing to your body. It's the anointing that brings peace to your mind and soul. It's the anointing that brings deliverance to your family. It's the anointing that drives devils away from your home. We need the anointing, and the people of God said, but let's never abuse it. Let's never abuse it. It's a priceless commodity. In 1 John 2.27, the scripture says, we all have an unction. The anointing belongs to all of us. It's yours. In fact, may I even say, every believer has a measure of it. You could not be a Christian without having a measure of it. Because the anointing, God gives it to you for more than just ministry. And I want to get into that because some maybe think, well, the, the anointing is only so somebody else can be blessed through my life. More than that. What is the anointing for? The Word of God tells us in 1 John 2, 27, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. This is an amazing thing here. That the anointing of God, the power of God, enables me to know the truth of God? Yes. The anointing of God on my life keeps me strong in the faith? Yes. The anointing which ye have received of him, and you've received it at salvation. Whether people know it or not, they are anointed. The very word Christian means anointed one. 
The anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you. Now, what does this mean? Well, we all need Bible teachers because the scripture says it clearly in Ephesians that God has given to the church teachers, prophets, evangelists, and so on. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. In other words, without the anointing, there is danger. With the anointing, there is safety. As long as the anointing of God is on your life, you will not move into error and heresy. But notice that he said that this anointing will cause you also to abide. In other words, the presence of God keeps the anointing on you, and the anointing on you keeps you walking in the presence of God. Now this is another dimension we are moving into here that we are not really touching very, uh, very deeply and there is really no time for me to cover the whole thing. But please, get as much as you can and then go dig deeper. So, the anointing of God which we tap into through the presence of God, once it comes upon our life, it will keep error and devils away from us. It will keep us walking in truth and more than even that, it will strengthen us to stay faithful. And walk with God. But if we ever should dismiss the presence of God because of disobedience, that anointing which is a blessing will become a curse. That anointing which is our weapon against the devil when the presence of God is there will become a weapon against us when the presence of God is gone. Now, we are talking about the anointing of God as a blessing to you here. Because of it, you receive from heaven. Because of it, truth comes your way. And blessings come your way. In fact, it is so priceless. Dare not lose it. Don't you ever dare lose it. You know, you cherish the presence of God, but you must also cherish His power. We got to have His power. People hear this. You know, if the presence of God is only on your life, and how precious and priceless and eternal that is. You will know the riches of heaven beyond compare, beyond description. But without the power of God on your life, the results are few. But if the power of God comes, the results are many. Ye shall bear much fruit. There are precious people that know Jesus and walk with Him, but nobody knows a thing about them. But when the power of God comes on you, you're going to make some noise. Brother, when the power of God came on the day of Pentecost, there was a noise made. The whole city of Jerusalem knew about it. And I say this, the presence of God comes in stillness and quietness, but the power of God comes with noise. The presence of God will still you. The power of God will stir you. The presence of God will cause you to be, but the power of God will cause you to do. So yes, God's presence will still me. God's presence will still the soul, but God's power stirs it up. And both are necessary. Otherwise, we're off balance. Thank God for God's presence. Thank God it comes in. Thank God it stills my activities. Thank God it nourishes and maintains my life in Christ Jesus. I need that more than anything. Of course I do. 
Yes, it's eternal. But thank God too for God's power. Because without God's power, there will be no fire on me. Without God's power, no stirring up of the gifts. Look, the disciples could have enjoyed God's presence said that. That's all we need. But Jesus said, Terry for the power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, the world. So it's your choice. Now the power of God on your life. Please hear this. You do not need God's power on your life to get to heaven. You'll get to heaven because of God's presence in you. But if you want to take a whole lot of folks with you to heaven, get God's power on you. That power will be so mighty to be a witness to others about Jesus. God will use you because of His power. You can go to heaven all right with His presence and, and, and you'll stand blameless, holy and secure and be received with joy and glory. But when you have God's power on you, on earth, He'll use you to bring others to Himself. Peter, James and John had the power, not just the presence. Moses had the power, not just the presence. It was the power that destroyed Egypt. It was the presence that changed Moses. Think about this. God's presence first took Egypt out of Moses. God's presence took Moses out of the wilderness back to Egypt. And he stood before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. It was God's power that took God's people out of Egypt. So it's like this. God's presence took Egypt out of Moses, but God's power took God's people out of Egypt. Yes, it's good to have Egypt out of us, but let's bring God's people out of Egypt too. And that's where you need God's power. Say with me, God's presence will take Egypt out of us. God's power will bring people out of Egypt. Hallelujah. You'll be used to bring him out of bondage, out of Egypt, out of sin, out of the world, to the foot of the cross. Somebody say hallelujah. So we do need God's power. Of course we do, but let's not abuse it. Now, the power of God, the Bible says, will bring multiplication. Because when the power of God came, there was addition in Acts 2. There was multiplication in Acts 6. And beyond that multiplication in Acts 6, again, it says they multiplied greatly. And beyond that, it says multitudes. So whenever the power of God is present, there will be multiplication of God's blessings, multiplication of souls, multiplication of healings, multiplication of deliverances. God will multiply His work. It's this anointing. That will go down to your bones, literally. In other words, you'll feel it. I'm aware of the presence, but I sure feel the power. I don't feel the presence. When people say, I feel the presence, they really mean I feel the anointing. They just don't know the difference in the spirit. I can tell you the difference between God's presence and power on the platform. Literally, there is a definite difference with both. You see, that man that is living in sin can actually feel the power of God on his body. 
even though rejected by God. When that power comes, his body will feed it. His words will change. His actions will change. There will be boldness in him. But he's rejected. Don't let that lunch shock you. Because the power of God is felt physically. You will feel it in the body. The presence of God is not felt. If you say it's felt, you are mistaken. You do not feel God. People that say they feel God don't know what they're talking about. They feel His power and they say, I feel the Lord. No, 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 no. He's beyond feeling. He is beyond emotions. You see, my friend, our language has got to change. But we we don't know how to change it, so we use words that we use for things, for other things, but we, we, we apply them to the Lord. I feel Jesus in this place. I have never felt the Lord once, even though I've said the same words because we don't know what else to say. It's a knowing beyond a knowing. You know, Jim Ponto used to say, I sense. Even that's a weak word. But what word can you really use for Jesus? I become so aware of him till it's overwhelming. That's not a feeling, my friend. That's a knowing so great there are no words to describe it. It's an awareness of him so deep and so glorious it's beyond description. Yes, there's feelings, of course. But what are we really feeling? His power. Oh, I have felt that power. Oh, yes, I have. My body trembled and shook under it. Oh, yes, I felt that electricity down my body. Oh, yes, I have felt the trembling sensation in my body. Oh, yes, I felt as though my cells would explode. Oh, yes, I felt as though my, my skin would come off of me. Oh, yes, I felt as though every part of me lives. You talk about feelings, brother. I've had feelings so great that nothing on this earth can make you feel what I felt. You talk about a feeling? This joy unspeakable and full of glory. Feelings that you cannot buy, you cannot make or produce on this earth. You talk about God's power. But those moments when God's presence is there. This is maybe new to some of you. You say, well, I feel the presence of God. Well, you call it the presence of God. The power of God really is what you're feeling. But the presence of God is too holy to be felt. It's too holy to be felt. The presence of Jesus is too sacred to be felt in the emotion. It's beyond the emotion. The heart overflows with such reality. You know, we have brought down God to our limited minds. Brought Him down to our emotional levels. Oh, how sad it is. People don't understand that truth. I have stood in the presence, I have stood in the presence of the Master. And I can tell you, He overwhelmed my being with love and reality. He said, did you feel? Oh, my friend, how can you not feel? But it wasn't Jesus I felt. Jesus I know. Jesus, I was overwhelmed by him.
I was wrapped in him and he wrapped in me. I'll tell you the truth. So overwhelming was his presence that the only word you could use, and it's such a weak word, is I was overwhelmed with him. People say I'm aware of him. That's so weak. We don't really have a word to describe that moment. Our words are limited. Oh, yes, there have been the times when his presence was so real, literally so real, I wanted to be raptured. So real, I felt as though I was just seconds away from the great catching up of the church. So those moments, those moments are the times you just don't want to come down that mountain. Your being is just full, filled, filled with that reality. I don't know how else to say it. You talk about the power. I have ministered under such power at times that I felt as though my flesh would blow off of me. As people were falling left and right, as sections would collapse. You talk about feeling. I can tell you about feelings. There's not been a service that I had not felt God's power like that. And there are degrees of power that you feel in those great meetings. I pray it will happen here. I pray the Lord will come in with a wave of power here. Now what does that power do? That power releases the chains off of you. That power drives devils away and sickness away and disease away. Oppression and depression away. It breaks the shackles of death. But that presence will change you on the inside. My friend, I've seen people who experience the power, experience deliverance, experience tremendous release from bondage, and walked out with their hearts unchanged. Why? Because Jesus wasn't revealed to them. But I have known people who met the Master and left transformed. But still, that sickness was still there. That problem was still there. Oh, how wonderful it is to have both. Let me hear you say hallelujah. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9.8, The power of God can be so real, it will go down to your bones. So great that your cup will run over. In Psalm 23.5. And I'm going to just quickly close right now with this. Now, the Word of God clearly states that God's power can multiply. Write these scriptures down. John 7, 38. Out of your innermost being will flow rivers. Job 29, 6 says that the power of God multiplies as the Word of God deepens in you. That's also how it multiplies. Not only through faith, but through the Word, especially the Word. Job 29.6, when I washed my steps with butter, the rock poured me out rivers of oil. God's power is multiplied as His Word deepens and thickens in you. Ezekiel 47.1-7. through 7. Ezekiel 47.1-7. through 7. The power of God multiplies as you get closer to the Dead Sea. In other words, as you're close to the temple, 
The power of God will only touch your feet, but as you get close to the Dead Sea, it will be a river you can't swim in. So God's power multiplies as you minister to the lost and the dying. Acts 4.33, Acts 4, great power was upon the apostles. Acts 6.1, it was multiplied. Acts 6, 7, multiplied greatly. That power is multiplied through hunger. Acts 10, 44. I'm talking about the power, not the presence here now. That power multiplies through hunger. Acts 10, 44. Through unity of the Spirit. Acts 5, 12. Through faith, Acts 14, 8 through 10. The power of God is also multiplied through worship. Amazingly, that worship brings God's presence, but it also multiplies God's power while it's there. That's why sometimes you'll see me going to worship while I'm ministering. So the power of God actually flows stronger and, and, and will take us higher. Second Kings 3.15 through worship. Elisha, through worship, was able to receive God's power. God's power is multiplied through prayer. Acts 4, 29 to, through 34, prayer will intensify. So, once the power is there, if you will pray, it will increase. And then number six, association. The proper associations multiply the power of God. Acts 4, 13. Associations. This is very important. Because when you associate with the right people, God's power is multiplied. If I have the right people with me on the platform, and they all flow with me, that power is multiplied. The people you keep close to you can help you increase or decrease in the anointing once it comes on you. Number seven, and this is where I want to finish right here, and, and I want to help you understand that more tonight. Knowing how to discern the Lord. You say, what do you mean? I'll tell you tonight. Luke 24, Mark 6. Knowing how to urge him. You say, what do you mean? Well, don't you remember when he came walking on the sea as though he wanted to keep walking? Don't you remember on the road to Emmaus? They urged him to stay. And that urging brought greater power, greater glory. There are moments in the service when God will test you, and He will test you by letting you taste higher grounds and take them away from you. During the service, God will allow you to taste higher grounds and take it away from you. He say, why? To lift you to those grounds. He will allow you to taste higher levels, and it's up to you whether you want to go there or not. And through urging him, he'll go higher. I'll help you understand it tonight. Father, I pray today, by your Spirit, give us understanding hearts. Help us understand your word. Impart to us your truth, changing and impacting our lives mightily for your glory. 
In Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Would you turn to John 14, please, as I begin this fabulous teaching on releasing God's healing power. But there's a few things that you and I have got to understand. First of all, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to see what God's work is like, if you want to see God at work, if you want to know God's will, it's one thing you must do. Look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what His work is like, if you want to see God at work, if you want to know His will, look at Jesus. Because Jesus is God. He does the work of God. And Jesus Christ is the will of God in action. Say that. Jesus Christ is the will of God in action. Say it again. So when you see the Lord at work, you are seeing God at work. John 14, beginning at verse 8, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou, Then show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the, very, for the very work's sake. Or else believe me for the very work's sake. And this is the most remarkable portion. Jesus, the Master, is saying to you and I, the words that he spoke... And the words that he speaks to us, he does not speak them of himself, but the Father that dwells in him, he's doing the work. So, do you want to see God at work? You want to know his will? Look at Jesus. Jesus Christ is the will of God in action. Acts 10.38 the Bible says, the Word of God declares how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, this is glorious. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. What is God like? Right here. He went about doing good. He went about doing good. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost, with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Now when you read that, 
and you understand that Jesus Christ is the will of God in action, that you understand now, this is God's will. People ask me, is it God's will to heal? I said, look at Jesus. Jesus healed the sick, then it is God's will to heal. Because He is God's will in action. Now, let's understand something about the Lord. Would you go to James chapter 1 now and look at verse 17. Gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Go back again and remember what we read in Acts 10, 38. He went about doing good. Say that. Said again. Who went about doing good? And Jesus is the. He's what now? He's the will of God in action. Say it again. So the will of God in action went about doing good. So doing good is the will of God. Correct? Now. James 1.17 says, one more time. Every good gift and That's every right. perfect, perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Okay, now, Psalm 25.8 says what? Good and upright is the Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. There's no evil in Him. Keep going. Therefore will He teach sinners in the way. Ah, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore He'll teach sinners in the way. In what way? In the good and upright way. Everything about God is good, and He teaches His goodness to His people. He brings sinners into knowing His uprightness and goodness. And how about Psalm 34, 8? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see the Lord is good. So, now, these are just few of the scriptures that clearly state that God is good. There's no evil in Him. No darkness in him. Now, it's difficult for people to understand that much of what happens on the earth happens because of the fall of man. Sickness, trouble, sorrow, headaches, pain, so on. Earthquakes, storms, floods, wars. These are not acts of God. I repeat. God is a good God. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. Good and upright is the Lord. The Lord is good. Now, He went about doing good. So, when you see sickness, pain, heartache, earthquakes, pestilence, floods, disasters, is God in that? No. Listen carefully. Because this is something that somehow has been believed among so many. And it's not the Bible. It's not truth. Much of what happens on earth happens because of the fall of men. You've got to understand something about God. He gave... Authority to men. He gave authority to Adam. He said, let them have dominion. 
Adam gave that authority to Satan. Satan today legally has that authority. Now, the earth, the planet, is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the psalmist said in Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's, yes. But, what happens on the earth, men have the authority when it comes to that. The heavens belong to God, but the earth hath He given to the children of men, we read. God has given us authority. That authority was given to Satan. He is the prince and power of the air. He is the prince of this world. Jesus called him that. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, He's the prince and power of the air. Ephesians 2.2 2, We find the same truth there. The Lord called Satan the prince of this world in John 12.31 In John 14.30 In John 16.11 Jesus called the devil the prince of this world. In Luke, the enemy said to the Lord, He said, if you will worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms which are mine. And the Lord did, did, did not argue with him. Now, understand that the earth is the Lord's, but the system the world runs by is under satanic rule. One of these days, the Lord will return to earth and reclaim all authority. The kingdom will become the Lord and His Christ. Hallelujah. The earth and the fullness is His now already. But the system that runs it is under satanic rule. One of these days, Satan will lose all authority. And the saints will take that kingdom. Somebody shout hallelujah. So we must understand. Satan, the evil one, is behind all evil happenings on earth today. We need to get these things straight because many in the church today are confused. People have all kinds of unscriptural ideas. They say, well, these, tra these tragedies, these earthquakes, the poverty, the this, the that, that's the acts of God. They're wrong. These are not acts of God. If they are acts of God, then what we had read earlier is not true. Yet we know, and it is eternal and definite, this is truth. This is the Word of God, and you can stake your life on thus saith the Lord. Say after me, the Lord is good. Good and upright is the Lord. Say it. Now, God is good, and God is upright, and none of these acts are good. Therefore, He has nothing to do with them. Much of what happens to people happens because of choice. Somebody jumps off a diving board. 
doesn't check the level of the water, breaks their neck. Who's to blame? The person. God will not turn the pool around for you. Check the water, the level of the water. See how deep it is before you jump. Don't blame God for breaking your neck. He gave you a brain. Use it. Can't blame God. The Bible says, give no place to the devil. That is more than just a spiritual piece of advice. It has to do with also the natural. Let me explain. I was flying back from Japan. The pilots did not bother putting GPS on the plane. Satan had a door in. We got lost over the Pacific. Because the instruments they had on the plane, none of which were GPS, went all out of whack. And we got lost. And those pilots did not know where they were. Now we're, we just took off out of Tokyo. We crossed the international dateline. And somehow they were supposed to refigure something. And whatever they did messed it up. And they had four instruments. Four instruments all giving them something different. They, they, they did not know which instrument was saying the truth. With so no satellite navigation, they, they didn't know which one was saying the truth. Now they're going in circles around Hawaii, 300 miles away from Hawaii. We're almost running out of fuel. And the pilots don't know where Hawaii is. I began to pray. You would too. Henry began to cry. My brother Henry began to cry, and while he's crying, he's singing. I sing praises to your name. I said, what are you doing? He, he's singing and crying. I sing praises to your name. And he says, I want to go to heaven singing. He's crying, singing, I sing praises to your name. When I said, what are you doing? He says, he wants to enter heaven singing. Ralph Wilkerson, who was on the plane, was sleeping. We were lost over the Pacific, and Ralph is sleeping. I woke him up. I said, Ralph, wake up. I said, we're lost. The man, God is my, my, my witness. God is my witness, and so, were, so are all those on the plane. Leave me alone, he said. Jesus slept in the midst of the storm. I said, I got a guy who's sleeping. I got a guy who's singing and crying. We're lost. And the Lord spoke and said, all is well. And all was well because, thank the Lord, they somehow got hold. One of the, one of the traffic controllers who was a Christian told the pilots to tune in a, uh, uh, an AM station, which is the strongest signal. And it's the, a Christian station out of Honolulu. And it was a Christian station that brought us in. We flew on their uh, signal, like the Japanese did. Yeah. Now, why did, the, why did Satan get in? Because we gave him a place. And we gave him a place by not putting GPS. See, you've got to shut every door. 
even in the natural. Now I know they say, well, well, well how can this be? You've got to understand, he will use every occasion you give him against you. So shut every door. Give no place to the devil means shut every door, every window, block every hole. Don't let him in. So people do things, well, it's God. No, it's not God. It's people's own foolishness. Now, these are not acts of God. He went about doing good, Acts 10.38 says. What was that good that Jesus did in Acts 10.38? He healed. The good is healing. God is in the healing business, not in the sickness business. Now, now we've got to clear something here. Sickness is not a blessing. Look, even the natural world has rejected sickness as being something good. They spent, they spent millions and billions of dollars on medicine fighting it. If sickness is good, why do we have doctors? If sickness is good, why do we have hospitals? If sickness is good, why do we have medicine? Because it's not good. We don't want sickness. Show me one person who loves to be sick. Nobody wants to be sick. Not even the, not, not, not even the most heathenistic heathen. Not even the, the, the one who denies the existence of God, an atheist. The atheists don't want to be sick. Nobody wants to. Why? Because our bodies reject it. If our bodies reject it, how can it be God's will to have it? Look, not only does the Bible say it's evil, our bodies know it's evil. When sickness hits you, everything in you fights it. Even your body fights it. Why? Because God did not make the body for sickness. The body fights sickness. Therefore, you ought to know even in the natural, it is God's will for you to be healthy. Your own body fights sickness. Sickness is not the will of God. Sadly, there are people who actually believe it is God's will to be sick. He went about doing good, healing all, all those oppressed of the devil. Well, we know clearly that Jesus Christ is God's will in action and God's will is to heal all, or otherwise Jesus would not have healed all. Sickness is an oppression. For the Bible says he went about doing good, healing all oppressed of the devil. Sickness then is an oppression of the devil. Now that does not mean an evil spirit is present in that body. It means that the devil is behind that sickness. And how is he behind that sickness? Because sickness is the result of the fall of man. And the fall of man came because of deception. Satan's plan brought that about. 
All right. It is God's will to heal. Some teach that sickness is suffering with Jesus. In Second Timothy chapter 2, go with me there. You see, people have all kinds of ideas about sickness. Well, I'm suffering with the Lord. I'm, I'm just suffering for Him. Well, who said that? Where, where did you get that idea from? It says in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, If we suffer with Him, we shall also reign with Him. Well, this has nothing to do with sickness. What do we suffer? We suffer persecution, the Bible says. Not sickness. There's nowhere in the Bible it says you'll suffer with sickness. You will suffer persecution, yes. In Galatians 5.11, in Philippians 1.29, in 2 Timothy 3.12, we have confirmation on the fact we suffer persecution, not sickness. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Second, Timothy 3, verse 12, and these other scriptures I just gave you. Now, some will even say, well, God sends sickness to chasten you. Because he loves you. So it's the Lord's chastening. All right, let's clear that up too. Hebrews 12, please turn with me. Now, I showed you from Timothy that the suffering deals with persecution, not sickness. And the chastening here, let's clear that up too. Hebrews 12, verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. That word chasten means to train, to educate. If you love your child, you don't go about breaking his legs. If you love your child, you don't go about giving him cancer. God does not chasten you by breaking your body. No, 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 no. This is not the way you discipline your child. How about our wonderful Heavenly Father? He doesn't go about breaking us and giving us sickness to teach us anything. Some will say, well, it's my thorn in the flesh. Because they use Paul from 2 Corinthians 12, 7. He had a thorn in the flesh. And that's clear in that portion that thorn was a messenger of the devil. That messenger had nothing to do with sickness. It says that God gave him a thorn, the messenger of Satan, to buffet him. And there's no mention of sickness because healing is God's provision. Now, let me make things very clear to you. And I want to talk to you face to face, help you understand this. Every one of you sins every day. Everybody, every sins. Why? Because of the fall. Because of the fall of man, we all sin. Now, we don't willfully, knowingly sin because no Christian will ever say, tomorrow I'm going to lie. Tomorrow I'm going to steal. It's not, it's not in you as a born-again believer.
to decide willfully, knowingly, I'm going to sin tomorrow, or I'm going to lie today, or I'm going to whatever. No, it's not in here. We sin because of weakness. We fail because we were conceived in sin. We do not decide to sin. We sin because we are weak. All of us. All have sinned, come short of the glory. If we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. We read in First John. So everybody in this room sins every day. All of us. Thank God there is provision for forgiveness. We go and say, Lord, I'm sorry. And He washes you with the blood. Now the same way, everybody along the way is going to get sick. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Psalm 44 says. You see, this body is not made out of heavenly substance. This is flesh and blood. This is still corruption. This body I'm looking at here is corruption. As you grow older, as your body grows older, it grows weaker. It doesn't matter with all the new vitamins and the new this and, and the new that, your body will eventually wear out and die. Admit it. You are getting older and weaker. With all the vitamins you've put into your body, it may slow a little bit, something, whatever, but at the end, it will happen. Oral Robertson is 88 years old, a mighty man of God, but his body is breaking apart. Why? Just the way it is. Because of the curse, because of the fall, our bodies will slowly wear out. Sickness along the way will strike. All of us, the Christian who says, I will not get sick, is deceived. Because sickness will strike every man and woman on this globe along the way. It may be when they're old and gray-headed. It may be halfway in life. That's just the way life is. But the good news, healing is provided. So, we are human beings. This is a body. This is a physical body. If this body falls into sin, it will fall into sickness. But God has made provision to forgive and to heal. Isn't that good news? So when you fall into sin, not because you willfully, knowingly wanted to go do it. It's not that you decide. It's because you, you're weak. We all fall short. We do sin every day. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We're deceived. But God has what? Given us that blessed privilege in salvation to go and say, I'm sorry. And provision for forgiveness is made. We are, we are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. Now the same thing happens with physical healing. Sickness will strike along the way. But thank God there's healing provided. God will heal your body. All you have to do is go to the Lord and He will heal you. No, no. 
don't believe for one minute that you will never get sick. But here's the truth now. God will heal your body. God will heal it for as surely as His word is His word. Healing is provided. But now let's understand. Sickness and sin are the result of the fall of man. People don't get sick because they've done something wrong. They don't decide to sin because they want to. It's the, it's the result of the fall of man. But healing and forgiveness are provided. So when you go to God, you go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. He cleanses you. When you go and believe Him for healing, He will heal you. He will repair whatever is broken. He will deliver you from whatever sickness strikes your body. As you call upon Him, even medical science, as you saw, has discovered that. How many of you are glad healing is available? Now, would you turn to Exodus 30, uh, sorry, 23, verse 25 and 26. I want to show you something that is absolutely remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. Exodus, Exodus 23, 25 and 26. For I believe it is God's will for His people to live in health for a number of years. Exodus 23, verse 25. And ye shall serve the Lord your God, and He shall bless thy bread and thy water. And I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. There shall nothing cast their young nor be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. We rarely ever hear anything about that truth here. Say with me then, the number of my days He will fulfill. Say it again. You know what that means? Turn to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. Look at verse 10. Just remember what you just said. The number of my days He will fulfill. What is the number of your days? How many days has God ordained for you to live in health? Psalm 90, verse 10. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. Threescore and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, that's eighty, yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow. All right, stop right there. How many years of health did God promise you? Seventy. So His will is that every Christian be healthy for seventy years. After seventy, if by reason of strength you live to be eighty, the Bible says, I'll read again, the days... Of our years are three score, years and ten, that's seventy. If by reason of strength, if you take care of your body, they be four score years. You could live up to eighty. 
yet is their strength labor and sorrow. So he never promised you a life without labor and sorrow. But it's soon cut off and we fly away. But praise God is right. But let's, let's understand that 70 years are promised in health. Look at Psalm 102, please. Verse 24. Okay, now watch what it says here. Psalm 102, 24. I said, oh my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. Take me not away in the midst of, of my days. This is clear. God does not will. It's not His will for you to go in the middle of your life. Take me not away in the midst of my days, Lord, because His will is 70 years of health. But like I said, along the way, weakness will strike. We don't know when. Some people get sick earlier than 70 because they're not taking care of their body. Some are sick in their 20s and 30s because of the food they eat and because they wear their body down because they will not give it rest. God is not responsible for that. We are. Now turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 8. Look at verse 16 and 17. Healing is in God's redemptive plan. And now I'm going to begin, I'm switching gears here because I'm rapidly moving uh, quickly into how to re release healing power. But I had to deal with what I dealt with first to show you. He's a good God, therefore sickness does not come from Him. I had to show you that our bodies will get sick because they are flesh and blood. I had to show you that God has promised you 70 years of health. If you live according to His will, but if you break His law, you won't. Now I'm going to show you that it is in His redemptive plan to heal your body and keep it healed. Now please hear this. Even though sickness strikes, God will heal you. Even if you are 90 years old, God's promises of healing are limitless. I repeat, He promised you seven 70 years of health. Now, if along the way you, you mess up and you break your body up and, and you are it out, you're going to get sick. But God will still heal you because of His mercy. He will heal you. You can go on. Beyond 70, if your body starts to wear out, and it will, God will heal it if you believe Him for it. Now, the question is, why are people sick? Because they are not releasing their faith for healing. They, they release their faith for forgiveness. They go and say, Lord, forgive me. He forgives them. They walk out believing. If they will use the same faith for healing, they'll never be sick. They will stay healed. Just like when they fall, they go and say, Lord, forgive me. He cleanses them. They go on believing God forgave them. Think about if our faith is this strong for healing. Now, the Bible says that healing is in God's redemptive plan. Because in Matthew, please read for me Matthew 8, verse 16 and 17. Go ahead. When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, 
And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. It's his redemptive plan. And in his redemptive plan, he promised to heal. Matthew 9, 6, please. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine house. In man there are two natures. Two natures are combined. He's at the same time spirit and matter. He's a combination of heaven and earth. Hear this. It is that twofold nature which God has redeemed by grace. I repeat, in every one of us there are two natures. We are spirit and we are matter. We are a combination of heaven and earth. That twofold nature has been promised redemption. When David calls upon the Lord, when David calls his soul to bless the Lord, he cries, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not his benefits, who forgives all iniquities, heals all disease. Isaiah speaks of the day when Christ would walk the earth in Isaiah 33, 24. And he said, the people therein shall not say, I'm sick. They shall be forgiven their iniquities. The people will not say, I'm sick. In other words, healing will come to all the people. This was fulfilled when the Lord walked the earth. The preaching of the gospel. When Jesus came preaching the gospel... Healing took place. Healing followed. In Matthew 4, 23, he preached the gospel of the kingdom and healed all. In Matthew 11, 5, healed all. Now, would you go with me to Matthew 11? Quickly, please. There's something so dynamic here I'm going to show it to you. Now, Christ Jesus came... Forgiving and healing. Healing and forgiving. I know some of this information is, is things you, you, you have known, but I must establish a foundation that you must understand. Before you release healing power, you got to know what the Bible says about healing. You can't be praying for the sick and not knowing what I just gave you. It's impossible. It's impossible to pray for the sick Unless you come to the conclusion that God is a good God. Sickness is not of God. That healing is provided even after our bodies break up. We still can be healed. Look at me. i got to tell you something. How many here want God to use you to bring healing to the sick? Now, hear this. I just began preaching. 1974. I was young and immature. I was learning the ways of the Lord. I was developing in the Spirit. My faith was being tested and my faith was growing slowly. I was young. 21 years old. When I began preaching, I was 21. I had no Bible training. No Bible school training, no seminary, no nothing. I just was thrown in the ministry. It was God's will. 
and I followed. This was 74. In 82, when I was still young, inexperience still was there. I was just developing in the spirit still. Cancer struck my dad. The whole family said, God killed him. Of course, because that's just the way people are. My family was not always Christian. My mom and dad were not always saved. We were heathens. Now my father dies. 58 years old. He's 58. Cancer struck him. He was gone. Like that. My mother, who had just been saved only a few years prior, left the faith. For two years, she would not talk to God. She said, he killed my husband. Now, my mom says to me, she says, I want you to uh, conduct the service. Now, they are Greek Orthodox. My mom was so angry, she said, God did it. She blamed God. My family blamed God. My uncles, my aunts all blamed God. And now my mom says to me, preach the service. Now, we, I'm in a Greek Orthodox church. The priest was to do his first part, and then I was to come preach. So here sat 700 Greek Orthodox people. And the priest got very angry with my mom. He says, I do not want your son to preach in my church. She said, listen here, this is our service, and I tell you what to do. <laughs> so finally they agreed that he would do his first part and do his curulations and his instance and all the rest, and I'd come preach. Anybody has ever been to a Greek Orthodox church here? Yeah. You know, what, you know what I'm talking about. Bro, he was going about with a censor, going everywhere and praying in Greek and chanting in Greek. And now he's done, and he sits down. So I come down. I came down the pulpit, and I took the casket, and I began to shake it. And I began to pound it. And boy, when I did, the whole place stood up. <laughs> you should have seen the eyes. What is he doing? He's going crazy. That priest brother, he sat up, and he, he is wondering, what is this guy doing down there? And I began pounding the casket. I said, my father, bang, bang, he's not in this box, bang. And brother, they all just sat up, everybody quit. <laughs> Nobody's crying now, nobody, uh, that boy over there, man, he was wide awake sitting up. <laughs> I had to make a decision that morning. And, and it, that decision is the reason I'm still preaching. Now, now you're going to hear this. Because if I believed cancer was of God, I would not be here today. How can I tell the world that it's God's will to heal and believe that cancer was sent from heaven? Because my mother, my brothers, and the rest of them believed that that cancer really was God's will. How dare God send cancer and kill my dear young daddy? I had to make up my mind. Or I believe what the Bible says. Or I'm going to believe that maybe it is God's will that my father as a young man be dead in this casket. It was my decision. Now if I believe that God Almighty willed 
It was his will for my father to be dead at 58. Then I was going to quit the ministry. It was a decision. It was a very serious decision for me. But if I believe that that cancer, that the cancer had nothing to do with God, God had nothing to do with it, then I'd go on. And I came to this conclusion. I said, this cancer is not from God. I said, this cancer from the devils of hell. And then, my brother and sister, I said to my mama, I said, Mama, I said, Dad smoked all of his life. I said, God did not kill him. Smoking killed him. My father smoked three and four packs a day. I said, you cannot blame God. God did not force him to smoke. God didn't tell him to smoke. He smoked because he wanted to smoke. I said, what killed him? His decision to smoke killed him. God had nothing to do with that. He gave him his own mind to decide what to do with his body. We decide what to do with this body. You can go jump in a pool and break your neck. God has nothing to do with that. You can smoke all your life and end up dead with cancer. Don't blame God for that. I began pounding that casket. And I began preaching the gospel. And I began to tell them Jesus heals and Jesus saves. I had to make that decision that morning. And when I did, I did it for good. I could not accept that that cancer had anything to do with my Heavenly Father. He had nothing to do with it whatsoever. God is a good God, people. He's a good God. And at that moment, at that moment, something happened to me. I made that decision. And I'm still preaching what the Bible teaches. Even though it came close to home. Brother, let me tell you something. It's not easy to lose your dad. Not easy when you're, when, when you're young and he's only 58 years old. But that decision saved my ministry, my future. And brother, when I was done, I gave an altar call. <laughs> Some of my cousins got saved. Thank you, Jesus. And, and, and I began singing. I got my wife up and I got my brothers up and I even got my mother up who was angry with God and I began singing then sings my soul my savior God to thee and nobody knew the song and they all were just staring at me and I we all had our eyes closed but I couldn't help it I had to open one eye to see what they're doing brother I had to peek at that I had to peek and see what are these people doing down there we had our eyes closed then sings my soul how great thou art how great thou art and we we're all crying and blessing the Lord. My mother wasn't doing too well, but she came through afterwards. And I opened one eye and looked at them, and brother, they're all staring. And I thought, let them stare all they want. I'm going to praise God in the midst of this. But my cousins came up to me and said, how can you do that? What gives you that power to do this? I said, I'm a Christian. And I believe the Bible. And I will not accept that God had anything to do with my daddy's sickness or death. God is a good God. Oh, hallelujah. Don't you dare ever blame God for anything.
He's a good God. Somebody shout hallelujah. My, He stands waiting. He stands waiting for you and I to call on Him. His heart aches when He sees us breaking our bodies down. Nothing to do with it. He's a good Lord. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, precious, patient. Loves you, loves you, loves you, loves you. He loves every piece of you. Think, think how much He loves you. He loves you so much, He even has counted your hair. Lift your hands and thank you for loving you. He loves you. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, in Matthew 11, verse 3 through verse 5, this is something very important. John the Baptist sends two of his disciples that said, Are thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Are you the Messiah? Jesus answered, said to them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached. Now this is something amazing. The prophets had said that the Messiah would have two signs. The proof of him being the Messiah would be that the gospel would be preached and the sick would be healed. So when the disciples of John said, are you the Messiah? He said, these are my credentials right here. My credentials are the sick are being healed and the gospel is being preached. In other words, if Jesus only preached the gospel, he would not have been the Messiah. If he only healed the sick, he would not have been the Messiah. But he healed the sick and preached the gospel. He preached the gospel and healed the sick. So when you only preach the gospel and not heal the sick, you take away from him half of his office. But when you preach the gospel and heal the sick, you declare, Jesus is the Messiah. Oh, hallelujah. Because had Jesus only preached the gospel, he would not have been the Messiah according to the prophets. When John the Baptist said, are you the Messiah? He said, look, you go tell him, the sick are being healed and the gospel is being preached. Because the Messiah, the prophets had declared, would do both. He is the Messiah, the Son of Almighty God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who saves the lost and heals the sick. He said, thy sins be forgiven thee. That's the gospel. And then he said, arise and walk. That's healing in Matthew 9, 6. He is the Messiah. The pardon of sin, the healing of sickness, complete each other. When Jesus forgives, when Jesus heals, there's completion. For he is the Messiah. Sin and sickness are united as soul and body. And forgiveness and healing are united as soul and body. You see, sin and sickness are twins. Forgiveness and healing are twins. So every believer, when you go to the cross, when you go to the cross for forgiveness, make sure you get the full package. Don't leave the foot of the cross without your healing. 
Make sure to receive forgiveness and healing because God offers both together. Matthew 9, 6, He said, your sins are forgiven. Rise and walk. Oh, I love that. Matthew 9, 6. Say with me, Matthew 9, 6. Your sins forgiven. Rise and walk. In other words, healing and forgiveness are twins. You should never receive forgiveness without receiving healing. Isn't that what James said? Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, anointing him with oil. And if he has committed any sins, they shall be forgiven him. Why? It's together. God always offers it together. Hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I love Acts 4.10 and Acts 4.12. We see Jesus healing and Jesus saving. His name healing, His name saving. In 4.10 of Acts, His name heals. 4.12, His name saves. Together. You see, you've got to get this. You, you've got to get this in your spirit. That the name of Jesus forgives, brings you forgiveness and salvation, that is, and healing. And healing. The statement of Peter is of utmost importance, highest importance. Now, tonight, you're going to release your faith. And you're going to be laying hands on anything that moves. What I'm going to teach here tonight, I taught in my class in California, and when I did, God broke loose in that class and they began to get, to, to get healed everywhere. What is amazing is when your faith rises to that level, you're going to release it. You cannot hold faith in like you can't hold steam in a pot. You just can't. You begin building that faith and building that faith and building till the little pot starts doing this, you know. Are you ready for your faith? Are you ready for it to explode? Stand up, will you stand up? Lift your hands, say, Lord, I'm ready. For my faith to come alive. I will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They shall recover. They shall recover. No question about it. They shall recover. No devil will stop me. All the devils of hell will not stop me. The people shall recover. Hallelujah. Say, He's a good God. All good gifts come from the Lord. Say it. All good gifts from... He's a good God. No sickness. No disease. No evil. Come from Him. He's a good God. He's the God of health. And blessings. And prosperity. And authority. Hallelujah. Now tonight, tonight you're going you're gonna to re- release your faith. I want you to come ready. Get ready. Healing waters will flow through your hands. Lift your hands say, Lord, use me. As a vehicle of healing. Tonight. And dear Jesus. When I leave this conference. Let this healing river. Keep flowing out of me. Everywhere I go, the sick will be healed. Hallelujah. Amen.
Amen. Amen. And Amen. Father, I pray again tonight, be our teacher. Lord, open our hearts. Give us discerning hearts. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And I pray, blessed Holy Spirit, enrich our lives and our walk through your word in Jesus' name. And God's people said, you all remember Acts 1.8. Let's say it together. Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, the power of God. We were talking this morning about the power of God. And you remember what I said from Habakkuk 3.4. That the power of God is hid in His presence. And when the presence of God comes, His power is revealed. Once His power is revealed, we tap into it by faith. We surrender to the Lord and at that moment, His power is released, and we are empowered by the Spirit. The promise comes to pass upon you. Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Now, this power, the power of God we call the anointing, is the manifestation of His presence. There is the presence of God. And the power of God, which is the result of His presence. It's the outflow of His presence. And I'll talk more about this in just a little bit. But first, I told you this morning that this power will bring great blessings to your life as you walk with God. And as long as you walk with God and you are faithful and have a pure heart, this power will be a blessing. It will bring multiplication to your life. It will bring growth, protection. Now, let me say something here that's extremely, extremely important. The presence of God comes at salvation. That presence belongs to every believer. That presence is eternal. John fourteen sixteen that he may abide with you forever, Christ Jesus said, about the Holy Spirit being with you. And in you. He's with you before salvation. He's in you at salvation. And He comes upon you after salvation for a season and a reason. And the reason is service. He comes upon us for service. Say for service. Say it again. But when the power of God comes upon us for service, there are benefits, great benefits that come back our way if we stay faithful and pure before the Lord. Now this power multiplies. And this power amazingly can be transferred. We cannot transfer the presence of God. We transfer the power of God. Because the presence of God is not transferred, not even through the laying on of hands. Now, there's a misunderstanding in some people who think that people can transfer the presence. Oh, no, no, no. The presence of God comes within you at salvation. Nobody lays hands on you and says, get saved. You don't get saved through the laying on of hands. 
you get saved as you give your heart to Jesus Christ. So salvation is not imparted through the laying on of hands. Salvation comes as we yield our lives and surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as His blood washes away our stains and sins, and we become His, we surrender all. His presence now fills us because of our yieldedness and surrender to Him at salvation. And that presence comes in as we surrender to Christ. So you cannot impart through the laying on of hands the presence of God. Even though people believe that, they're mistaken. It's not in the Bible. We're talking about the person of Jesus here. We're talking about the person. When we talk about the presence, we talk about the person. We talk about the glory of God. You, you do not transfer the glory through the laying on of hands. Yet the power of God, the anointing of God, can be transferred. The presence of God, like I've been saying to you all along, is His person. The presence of God is His glory. The presence of God reveals His heart, who He is. Moses said, show me your glory. After having seen God's power, he said, now I want to know you. I want to know what your heart is like. In Exodus 33:18, and then in Exodus 34, 5, the Lord begins to reveal Himself. And He says, the Lord, the Lord is gracious, merciful, long-suffering. And forgiving. And he reveals himself. How precious that is. Now, the presence of God not only deals with his glory. Not only deals with his person. It also deals with his ways. The ways of the Lord. He revealed his ways unto Moses. Psalm 103.7 says. He revealed his ways unto Moses. But his acts unto the children of Israel. Now notice that his acts were revealed to the children of Israel. And those same people rebelled against him. So it is possible to know the power and rebel. It is possible to know the power and say, I want to go back to Egypt. It's possible to know the power and live an ungodly life and worship idols, in fact, as they did, because they saw the power and rejected God himself. So he revealed his ways unto Moses. But you must understand something about God. Something most amazing about him. He's the God of covenant. Why did he make a covenant? He made a covenant because of the way he is. God Almighty chose a people. Not because they were righteous. Not because they were holy. Not because they were a godly people. In fact, if you read Ezekiel, he says, When I found you, you were naked. You were filthy. You were covered with your own dirt and sin. But I loved you. Why did he love them? That's his heart. He loved a people that did not deserve to be loved because of his heart. But now when it comes to his work, when it comes to what he does, this is something that deals with his covenant, deals with his law. See, Moses said to him, oh, no, you cannot. When God said, I'm going to consume them, oh, no, you cannot. Why? Because Moses understood that God is bound to his word, is bound to his covenant. 
said, no, you cannot. This has to do with his work. Yet even when Moses was so bold with God, yet he cried, I want to know you. Paul the Apostle, after he had known all God's work and saw such glorious power, he would still cry, oh, that I may know him. Because that heart of his, the heart of God, very few people understand and know. His heart is beyond precious. And his heart is revealed to his people throughout the ages and throughout eternity. You see, the angels do not know God's heart. The angels are only able to see his acts like Israel, his power like Israel. And that is so glorious to them that every time God does, holy, they cry. God is revealing himself to the angels through his work and they cry holy. But not one angel has ever said, I adore you. I love you. They have no idea. Not one angel has ever heard him say, I love you. Think about that. We have been privileged. Oh, this overwhelms me. We have been privileged to know him. When no angel in heaven can. They see his work and glorify him. The Bible says to the angels, praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him for his work. They see his work and they shout for joy. But not one angel, not Gabriel himself, not Michael himself, has ever been privileged to know the heart of the Master. Never one angel had been able to say, I love you with all my heart. Not one angel has ever heard God say, I love thee with an everlasting love. I think right here we need a praise break. Lift your hands and thank Him for that. Thank Him from your hearts. Thank Him for that. We've been privileged. We are a privileged people to be able to look into the face of our Heavenly Father and say, I love you. Yet the angels are silent when we do that. You see, there's the heart of God here. Because we have been privileged to peek into His nature. His nature. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. So I talk about the presence of God. There's more to God's presence than just the glory. There's also the ways of the Lord. The ways of the Lord are revealed to His saints. Because of His love. He made His ways known unto Moses. He made His ways known unto Moses. Oh, what a precious, precious, precious truth that is. You see, they did not know Jesus till He revealed Himself to them. And what did Jesus say? He said He will reveal the Father to us. To us. He will reveal the very person. Now when we talk about the power of God, we're talking about that mighty demonstration and demonstrations that are shown to us as they were shown to Israel that can shake a nation. The power of God that they saw 
which one of us has ever seen such power? Think about the people of Israel and what God showed to them. Not one of them knew his heart except Moses. And a privileged few who sought him with all their being. Later a remnant remained, the scripture says, from the multitudes that came out of Egypt. Most of them died in the wilderness. For they rejected his heart. They said, we want to go back to Egypt. We don't know about this God. They so grieved him as to build an animal to construct a calf and say, These be thy gods, O Israel. Had no idea what he was like. But Moses was able to. David knew him. David knew him. You read the Psalms and you see the preciousness of the Lord, how he knew him. When he prayed, Like a lost sheep I have gone astray, seek thy servant. In Psalm 119, he said, Lord, I am so weak and I am so tired and I am so helpless. I cannot even seek you. Would you please come looking for me? Only a man who knows the heart of God can say that. Or Paul the apostle, he said, for my people Israel, I wish to be accursed for them, that they might be saved. A man who knew God and had the cry of his heart. Think about that magnificent truth. Men who knew the Lord were transformed like that. And so much more I can tell you. So much is in the scriptures that I pray the Lord will show you. But now when we talk about the power of God, this amazing anointing. Now, what is the anointing really? It is the overflow of the life of Christ. When we say the anointing, when we say the power of God, it is that manifestation of the presence. It is that overflow of the life of the Master. It's like this. If I was uh, in a room, if you were in a room, James, and Jesus appeared to you, you would see him. You'd behold him. But there would be such power in that room, you'd fall as a dead man. It's the power that can kill you. That's what happened to John. He said, I felt like a dead man. What happened to Daniel, he said he lost all strength and couldn't move. That the angels had to strengthen him to stand up on his feet. Why? The person stood there. But such power came out of his being. It nearly killed the saints. It was only God's grace that kept them alive. That's why it says, He laid His right hand on me. The angel too touched the prophet, Daniel. Now there is the difference between what I'm trying to tell you, and I'll read it to you from Revelation. Because this explains it. This is awesome. The Word of God says, while John was in the Isle of Patmos, he heard the sound of a trumpet. And now he hears the voice, I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega. He sees Christ. He says, and when I saw my fellow, his feet as dead. Verse 17, John, uh, Revelation 1. When he saw him, he saw the person. He saw the person. He saw the glory. But the power that filled that cave, we call the anointing. 
such power came out of his being that the man fell as though dead. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not. He strengthened him when he laid his hand on him. He was able to hear him when he laid his hand on him. And when I talk about the power of God, what am I talking about? I'm talking about the overflow of the life of the Master. The overflow. My cup runneth over. So what is the anointing? It is the overflow of the life of Jesus. So when we say the anointing, we, we're not saying Jesus. We're saying the overflow of His life. The manifestation of His person. His presence. His glory. That permeates my body. Now, something else. The presence of God fills my heart. The power of God fills my vessel. I have never known the power of God to fill my spirit. The power of God does not fill your heart. It fills your vessel, your body. While the presence of God fills the heart, fills the spirit. It's like this. When you die, your spirit will still be filled with Christ. He does not leave you at death. Because John says, He abideth forever. Say forever. Say forever. Now that's John 14, 16. That He may abide with you forever. So you are filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about the baptism. I'm not talking about endowment with power like Acts chapter 2. I'm talking about the infilling. And the infilling happens at salvation. You receive that in filling, and He's in you forever. He's in you. While the body goes off of you, He's still in you. Hallelujah. So when the body dies, Christ remains in you forever. When you walk into His presence, you are still filled with His Spirit. And forevermore the Holy Ghost will remain in your heart. Oh, dear God, that deserves another praise break. I mean, when you think about it, the Holy Ghost will never leave your heart. Isn't that awesome? Now, the power of God doesn't fill the heart. It fills the body. And this is where people mess up because they cannot... Differ between both. Because to them, the power is the presence. The presence is the power. And nobody has bothered to find out that it isn't. The power of God, which we call the anointing of God, fills our vessel. In John, after Jesus rose from the dead, He breathed on His disciples and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Correct? That's when they were filled. Otherwise, you wouldn't have said, receive the Holy Spirit. <sighs> receive the Holy Spirit. And they were filled. Then he says, tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. Now, when that power came, they were not saved. They were saved already. What happened is they were empowered. Empowered for service. And that power filled their vessel. Change their behavior. 
They became bold. They became fearless. They preached the gospel with authority. The lost were saved. A few days later, they're walking through the beautiful gate. There's Peter. There's John. Silver and gold, we have none such as I have, he said, Peter. In Jesus' name, get up. What was that? The power. And the power of God comes with demonstrations. While the presence of God doesn't. The presence of God comes without demonstrations. When you are saved, when you're born again, that precious surrender, it's so private, it's so holy, it's just for you. Oh, I remember the day I got saved. That was precious just to me and changed only my life. Now when I was filled with the Spirit, it was noisy. And when I say filled with the Spirit, you know what I mean now. And when I say filled now, I mean empowered. Empowered, endued with power for service. When God empowered my life for service, that was a glorious and a very powerful experience with demonstrations. In the book of Acts, they began speaking in tongues. They began to prophesy. began to preach the gospel with power. The gifts came alive in them. Now, that's what's going to happen to you when the power of God hits you. It is that power that affects your body. This body of ours is not made for all that power. We can't handle all that power. That's why people fall. That's why they collapse, overwhelmed, overpowered by the glory and power of God. Now this power amazingly multiplies. The presence of God doesn't multiply. The presence of God comes in in fullness and remains in fullness in you forever. Jesus doesn't increase himself in you. He comes in completely. You do not receive him in pieces. You receive him in fullness at salvation. He comes in and you are his forever. The power of God. Ah, it's a different matter. This is where we receive the power by measure. We don't receive the presence by measure. We receive the power by measure. Here a little, there a little. As we are faithful, it increases on our lives. See, because we think that we receive Jesus in pieces, and so we have written songs. More of you. No, no, not more of you. What are you talking about? Not more of you, it's more of me. It's we yield more to Him. When we say more of you, we have it so messed up because we know it's the power that comes in measure. So when we say more of you, we're talking about the power, but some of us don't know the difference. The power of God comes in measure. That's why this, the Bible says, John the Baptist said about Christ, God hath not given the Spirit to him by measure. Jesus was given the power of God, and that's what John was talking about. He was given the power of God without measure. 
We limit God to the double portion because of Elisha's prayer. The power of God is given to us by measure as we continue to remain faithful. While the presence of God is given to us in fullness. The presence of God is given to us eternally. The power of God is given to us for now. For a season. And there's always a reason behind why He gives it to us. And as we remain faithful, as we serve Him, that power intensifies, multiplies. While Jesus in us is in fullness. There is no multiplication of Jesus. He's all in all to us. He comes in fully in us. The fullness of Christ is ours at salvation. But the power of God comes in measure according to our faithfulness. Now, this power multiplies, write it down please, number one, through hunger. I gave it to you this morning. As you are hungry for the Lord, through your hunger intensifies it. Acts 10.44, the Bible says, and I want to read it to you. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. They were hungry. Now they began to speak in tongues. They were endued with power. They had been saved also while he was speaking. And suddenly, not only were they saved and received Christ, the power of God fell on them also and they began speaking in tongues. It comes and increases through unity. Acts 5 verse 12, the Bible declares, By the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Now here we see the power of God being released through the hands of the apostles. And like I said to you earlier, and I'll say it again, you cannot release the presence of God through the laying on of hands. You release the power of God through the laying on of hands. Alright, because I see this is for, for so long, God's people, many of them, hadn't understood that. They think they can lay hands and release Jesus. No, no. You lay hands and release the power of Jesus. Big difference. Now, Unity increases that power. Thirdly, faith increases that power. The Bible says in Acts 14, verse 8, these most remarkable words. Listen carefully, please, if you will. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, that is Paul looking at him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. The man's faith multiplied the power of God on Paul, the apostle, and Paul spoke a word of healing and the man was healed. Expectancy, faith, released the power of God, multiplying it through Paul, the apostle. I have known times on the platform when that, that anointing multiplied in an instant moment, in a moment of time, it multiplied and something happened to a whole auditorium while nothing happened to me. And when I say multiplied... I'm saying multiply through you, not so much for you. Like the time in Singapore when I was so physically exhausted, I had just said, Lord, I'm so tired, I have nothing to give you. I was so worn out, I just flew in, I have nothing to give you. I'm exhausted. I said to the Lord, I have nothing to give you. I am so worn out, I got nothing left in me. And I saw a precious somebody, I think it was a lady, 
They were all standing up worshipping. I saw her standing with her hands up getting blessed. I thought maybe if I pray for her something will happen to me. Since sometimes there, there is a transfer of that anointing. If you lay hands on the right person, God will touch you as you're ministering. So I was so worn out, I went and touched her hand. When I touched her hand, the whole floor, I don't know how many, five, six thousand, at least maybe seven thousand on the floor, all went, woof, hit the floor. Nothing happened to me. <laughs> but that act released faith in that whole crowd. Faith just woof, hit the building. Just my walking down the stairway and laying hands on her, the whole crowd saw it, and the whole crowd received and I felt, I actually felt something flow right through my body. See, the power of God is for them, not for you. Never forget one time I was preaching somewhere in near Cocoa Beach. I was on the platform. I just finished ministering. And the power of God was flowing like a river in that building. And I was exhausted after that service. I, I, it was like Singapore. I was drained out. There was no chairs on the platform. They would all sit on the front row. The pastor and all these people sat on the front row. And then you got up and preached and went right down on the front row. As I went down to sit, Suzanne was right next to me. Everybody's getting blessed. People had their hands uplifted. The power of God was flowing. People were getting blessed and healed. And I finished the service and the power of God was still flowing. I went down. Suddenly, I began to feel what the people were feeling. The power of God hit me at the end. It had been hitting them all along, and I saw the difference. While on the platform, I'm aware of God's presence. But not that much His, His power at times, because when you start to wear out, it's time to, to quit. Because really, I've learned something else about God's power. I have never known the power of God to flow through me when I'm tired. Never. He said to Moses, he said, I want nothing flawed. The greatest times when I've been anointed mightily are the times when I am refreshed physically. Oral Roberts told me that same thing happened to him all the time. He'd say, he, he said he was in, in his meetings one time and a woman came up to him at the end of the service and she said, Oral, I came whatever miles away, you've got to pray for me. He said, lady, when the power of God is off of me, I have nothing to give you. I have no power, I have no faith, I can't even pray for you. She said, I don't know about that. She said, all I know is I came a long way and I'm not leaving without my healing. And she grabbed him and he began to resist and she grabbed him, would not let him go. God healed her. But he had nothing to give her. But the amazing thing is, I've seen it happen, the times God anoints me most is when I'm physically strong. Because he wants nothing flawed. That's what he said to Moses. So I want nothing flawed. William Branham used to say the greatest meetings that he had were the meetings when he was relaxed. Not worn out. Because if you give God the end of your strength, he'll give you nothing. God is looking for the firstborn in you. You know what that means? He's looking for the first fruit of your strength. When I say the firstborn, I mean the firstborn of your strength. He's looking for the best in you. Faith multiplies the power of God. Whose faith? The people. You see, your faith releases it. But as you minister, there is a moment in that service when the faith of the crowd pulls you to a higher level. We think it's our faith. No, 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 it's not. There's that expectancy in the crowd. That's what happened here in Acts. It says, Paul, speaking steadfastly, beholding him, 
and perceiving that he has faith to be healed. The, the man himself was pulling it out of Paul. Now it lifted Paul's level and said, stand up. Hallelujah. That's why I love to minister to a faithful crowd. My goodness, it pulls it out of me. Try to minister to a crowd. says, oh, prove it now. I want to see if God heals. Jesus said that in Nazareth. Remember? Their unbelief caused him to do little. Their unbelief limited the master. Number four, worship multiplies the power of God. In 2 Kings 3.15, Elisha said, play to the minstrel. As worship arose, the power increased and he heard God's voice. Prayer, Acts 4, 29 through 34. When they prayed, it says, the place was shaken and they were filled again with the Holy Spirit. And then it says, great power came. Not only the Holy Spirit refilled them with power, but great power now. Acts 4, 29. Now behold, their threatenings. Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal that signs and wonders may be, may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now that means when it says filled here, it means empowered. And they speak the word of God. And now look at verse 33. With great power give the apostles witness. Hallelujah. Number six, association. Brings a multiplication of the anointing. Acts 4.13. The Bible says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Association. They had been associated with Christ Jesus, and so now the power of God had multiplied on them. And we see it with David's men. We see it with Joshua and Moses. Joshua and Moses, Numbers 27, 18. Joshua and Moses, Deuteronomy 34, verse 9. It was because of Moses that Joshua was Joshua. David, in 1 Samuel 22, 2, gathered to himself 400 men who were all in debt and in trouble with the king, in trouble with the government. These same men who were no use and no good, by associating with King David, all became giant killers like him. In 2 Samuel 23, verse 8, 18, and 20, 2 Samuel 23, 8, 18, and 20, we see the same men who had joined him in 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 2, the same people that joined him who were no good and useless, all become giant killers by associating with David. Why? Because association releases the power of God on you. I learned that when I would go to Catherine's meeting. I went to her meetings for one reason. I wanted the impartation. I knew she could not give me the presence because I was already saved. Even though I did not fully understand what I'm teaching today then. But I knew there was an impartation. Hallelujah. Now, number seven. The seventh key is the most amazing to me. Turn to Luke 24, verse 13. And this is one of the most amazing and most remarkable truths about the Lord I can give you. Dealing with the anointing and how it multiplies on your life. It's amazing. Luke 24. 
Behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about 3,000 furlongs, which is only about uh, eight miles. They talked together all of, of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together, reasoned and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near. Now, one of them was Cleopas. We find that from another portion in the, in the word. One of them was called Cleopas, who was father to Matthew, who wrote the book of Matthew. So here's Cleopas and another disciple talking about what had taken place in Jerusalem. And now Jesus begins to walk with them. It says Jesus himself drew near and went with them in verse 15. But their eyes were holding back. They could not recognize him. They could not see it was he. So they begin to talk. And now Cleopas, who's mentioned, may I add, in verse 18, said, Are thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? Don't you know what's happening? As they're talking, the Lord begins to reveal Christ Jesus, the Messiah, to them himself, but they still can't understand, and their eyes were held. But now, look, something happened. Something amazing happened. Verse 28 is one of the most amazing keys to do with the anointing. Luke 24, 28. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. <laughs> That's lovely. And he made as though he would have gone further. Why? They drew to the village... They came to the village of Emmaus. But it said, he made as though. Say those words. He made, say it again. He made as though he would have gone further. He tested them. He wanted to keep walking. Ah, watch what happened now. And they constrained him. They what? They what? That I do often on the platform. If I don't do that, I would lose the service. Very few people know how to constrain the Lord. They urged him. They constrained him and said, abide with us. It's evening now. The day is spent. They urged him. They constrained him. We see that throughout the Bible. Abraham constrained the Lord in Genesis when he came with the angels to destroy someone. Please stay. Manoah constrained the angel. Please stay. Wait a minute now. Don't leave me. Jacob constrained and said, please stay till you bless me. God always wanted to leave and the saints understood if you know how to constrain the Lord, you'll receive much from Him. Most of us don't know how to do that because we don't know His heart. He likes to test us. And what He does is He lets us taste it and takes it away from us. He lets us taste it and then it's gone. That taste says, come higher. That taste says, follow me. That taste says, run after me. That taste says, I have more for you. But if we don't pay attention, we lose. 
when he was walking away, he was saying, I have more for you. And as they constrained him, he went with them. And then and only then, their eyes opened and they beheld him. Hallelujah. Dear Jesus, I give you the praise. Come on, lift your hands and join me. Let's praise him for this. The ways of the Lord. You know, the Lord comes to you. And here you are being used of the Lord. And sometimes He'll just let you feel a moment of intense glory. Oh, Jesus. And He's gone. It's all right. And He's gone. And He said, Oh, I just felt. No, no, no. You don't understand. You just tasted. He did the same thing when He was walking on the Sea of Galilee. He's walking on the Sea of Galilee and it made, he wanted them to believe he was going to just pass them by. They cried and then he said, it's me. What if they didn't cry? He'd keep going. What if these two disciples did not constrain him? They would have missed the whole revelation of Christ. God allows us tastes of his power that we may go higher with him. And if you know how to constrain him, you will. So the seventh key is, if you know how to constrain him, he'll multiply his power on you. You say, well, how do I constrain him? I have found that the Lord seeks to be sought. I have found that the Lord longs to be longed for. There are moments in that service where I stop and you've seen me do it. And I turn my attention back on him as though nothing had happened in that service. Suddenly I'm lost again. I begin to worship. I focus back on him. People are standing waiting for me to pray for him. But now I'm having my own little service again for myself. What am I doing? I'm constraining him to stay. Because I feel a pulling away. Sometimes I'll feel it right after a high moment in the spirit. (gasps) He's doing it again. And that increases my love for him. Because I see in that taste the heart of the master. How he wants to take me to another place in the spirit. It envelops me with love. I think, what a Lord this is. What a master this is. I have never known a God like this. Who so enjoys me, he wants me to get closer. The only way I can get closer is if I taste that higher ground. But as I constrain him, and as I urge him, he lifts me higher. I pray the service will come. I believe this will happen. There will be a service. When there will be such a level, and such intensity of power. That everyone will be healed. I know that as I stand before you here. But I also know that in that service, most likely, he will do just what I've been talking to you about. He will take us to where the eagles fly. Now, that urging, that constraining... It's also found in Mark 6, 47 through 49... When he came walking on the Sea of Galilee. You see, this constraining increases that anointing mightily. 
talking about the power of God, not His presence. Remember, His presence does not multiply. His power does. Now, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. And I'm going to help you understand something that I believe will be great, a great help to you. It will enlighten you. As the anointing comes, as you minister under the umbrella of its glorious power, make sure do not walk away from the circle you're in. Lord Jesus, help me say it right and help him understand it. Lift your hands and ask him to help you understand what I'm about to tell you. Amen. All right, now listen. It's as though um, it's as though the Lord uh, puts borders around you while you're ministering. It's as though He says, "This is your circle of authority. You are going to minister and minister tonight in the healing anointing. You're not permitted to go beyond." The limitation of this anointing. If I, me or anyone else, steps away from that boundary, I step into leprosy. Sin is beyond the border of that authority, of that boundary. You say, what do you mean? Do you remember King Saul? Samuel said, you're the king now. You go with the people and you wait for me. You're not authorized to do anything but wait for me to show up. I am the prophet of God. You're not permitted to practice anything else but being a king. So while Samuel was late, hear this, Saul said, I forced myself. What did he do? He offered a sacrifice. Which was not his job. Which was not his privilege. Nor within the boundary of his authority. He offered a sacrifice. Now you can all read this for yourselves. First Samuel 15 and through. You got to read this. In fact, begin in First Samuel 13 and go through the whole truth what I'm giving you here. I'm depending on you to go and study further. Now, he said to him, he said, now you wait for me. And, uh, and while uh, Samuel was late, Saul, being pressured by the people to offer a sacrifice, offered it, and it was not his privilege to do it, nor was he authorized to do it. So now Samuel says, when Samuel came, he said, what have you done? He said, well, I forced myself. And what he did is he stepped away from his authority. And there he heard, the Lord has also rejected you. He was rejected for rejecting the word of the Lord. Or, or uh, Uzziah, the king. In Second Chronicles 26, he's the king. He walks into the temple. He had every right to be the king in the temple, but not to offer incense. 
He offered incense and the priests said, it does not appertain to you. You don't have any right. You have no authority to be offering incense as a king. This is our job as priests. He said, who do you think you are? I'm the king here. Get out of my way. And he was hit with leprosy. Beyond that border is leprosy. So, men of God who walk away from that circle of power and authority will end up in sin. Even in a service, you are forbidden to cross the border. And people cross the border at times foolishly. I have seen it happen. You say, what do you mean? I mean they leave the Ranonic. I mean they leave their circle of authority. I've seen that happen. That's why you protect the anointing by staying where God called you. You see, Saul stepped away. He said, you be a king and no more. Even as a king, you wait for the prophet to show up. Don't you try and be a prophet now or a priest when God never called you. But he said, oh no, I can be a priest. Since I'm king, I can just be a priest. And the second he stepped away, he said, you're rejected. Uzziah, you're a leper. That's what causes men to fall into sin because they say, well, I'm anointed, I can do anything I want. Oh no, you cannot do anything you want. Nor can you say anything you want. It's happened, come on. It's happening in churches today in in America. It's happening right now. They step away and say, well, I'm God's anointed. Therefore, I have the authority to do whatever I want. And he does not know God is about to reject him. Leprosy has been waiting for him outside that circle. That's when they get into error. That's when they get into heresy. My brother, the minute... The minute he stepped out of that circle, the judgment of God came on that man. How dare these men use God's anointing to live in sin, whoremongers, adulterers. That's what the Bible calls them. God's judgment will be fierce on such men. Holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. He calls us to be holy, not filthy. He said, you are dogs that don't even know how to bark right. That's what the prophets of Israel were doing. When the prophets of Israel, who were anointed to be prophets, were causing Israel to worship idols and building idols in the holy temple of God, Isaiah said, you are like dogs that don't even know how to bark right. Let me tell you something, brother. Let me tell you something, sister. That anointing is sacred. Don't abuse that office. God anoints you. Oh yes, He'll multiply it on you. Yes! But don't you dare walk beyond that border. And the people of God said, I am so afraid of that. Dear God. I have no authority beyond that anointing. None whatsoever. No, 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 no. I won't dare. No, never. 
see with that, 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 that anointing gives me authority only to minister. It doesn't give me authority to go and ruin people's lives. And do the unthinkable. You see the danger here. Oh dear God. It's an awesome responsibility. To whom much is given, much is required. Great is that responsibility. People of God, let me tell you something. The world is watching us. They're watching us. Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell won't prevail. You know, the thing is, we are examples and we are responsible. Everything we do. Everything we do. Ladies and gentlemen, what I'm trying to tell you is very simple. Make sure your heart remains pure before the Lord. He is the one that matters. If you fear Him, you have nothing to worry about. Because He'll protect you. He knows your heart. Now this anointing. This precious anointing. Don't ever walk away from that office God gave you. Never. Now write this down. Once that anointing comes on your life, on your life, it will again give you seven manifestations in your life. Number one, it will consecrate you. Consecrate you for service. Exodus 30, 30 and 31. You'll be consecrated unto His service. Ezekiel 16, verse 19 through 13 says, This anointing will honor you. God will honor you through the anointing. Numbers 18 verse 8 says, it will enable you. You'll be, giving, you'll be given enablement, enabling power to do things you would not be able to do otherwise. In 2 Samuel 5, 3, the Bible says this anointing will give you authority. Authority over devils, authority over demons, authority over sickness, disease, bondage. Isaiah 10, 27 says that this anointing Destroys bondage. Psalm 89 verse 20 through 23, 24. This is Psalm 89 from verse 20 and on. It says that this anointing will in fact protect you from Satan and all his host. It says the, that the son of wickedness will not afflict you. The devil will never afflict you again. That anointing is protection. Protection. Oh, how I have known that protection. But it belongs to all of you. How I pray the Lord will give you that. Isaiah 10, 27. The yoke is broken because of it. The bondage is gone because of it. And Psalm 89 is my favorite. Because in it, under the unction and the anointing of the Spirit, David wrote these words. I have found David my servant, with my holy oil have I anointed him, with whom my hand shall be established, my arm will strengthen him. The enemy shall not exact upon him. The enemy will never touch him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. Verse 22 is an awesome promise. The enemy shall not exact upon him. The enemy will never touch that man who is anointed. 
But if you step away from that anointing, He's waiting for you beyond the border. That anointing not only destroys bondage. Number six, that anointing imparts truth to your heart as you read the word. Now this is a mighty point I'm going to make here. It is the anointing of God that enables us to understand the word of God. Did you know that? It is the anointing of God that enables you to understand the word that you read. That power that comes for service is also the power that enables you to receive the word. It's so important to understand what I just said here. The sixth key, imparting truth, enabling you to, enabling you to receive the word, is 1 John 2, 20 and 27. That's verse 20 and verse 27. And then Revelation 3.18 says, it will cause you to see, it will cause you to understand. This anointing is a precious substance, a heavenly commodity. It is tangible, it is feelable, it is knowable, it is touchable. I repeat, this precious anointing is a precious substance. It's a heavenly commodity. This anointing is tangible. This anointing is feelable. This anointing is knowable. This anointing is touchable. Now let me quickly give you this now. This anointing that I've been talking about is also transferable. We cannot transfer the presence. We only transfer the power. You cannot lay hands on someone and say, receive Jesus. No, you only release the power of Jesus. And that power brings healing to the body. That power brings deliverance to the spirit and soul. And when you lay hands, that person will be baptized with power from on high. The apostles laid hands and the Holy Ghost was given. And when we say the Holy Ghost was given, we mean the power of the Holy Ghost was given. Because truly the Holy Spirit comes at salvation. You cannot impart salvation. You only impart the anointing. That brings power, brings deliverance, brings restoration. So what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the release of the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember the two experiences. Jesus breathed and said, receive the Holy Ghost, that's salvation. And then he said, tarry till you be endued with power. Now this power can be transferred. This is a very amazing, amazing, most remarkable truth that we know from the scripture and we've experienced. And that power, that power is we need it continually. The presence of God never leaves us. The power of God, we need to be refilled, re-empowered again in other words. That's why Paul wrote, be filled with the spirit, meaning be empowered again. Don't get saved again, be empowered again. So that power is given for it's released. It's transferred, number one, through the laying on of hands. In Acts 19.11, we find through the laying on of hands it was released. Amazingly, 
also released through clothing. Mark 6.56, as many as touched Christ Jesus were made whole. When they touched his clothes, his power healed them. It was a release of power. Mark 6.56. Acts 5.15, through a shadow. The shadow of Peter. Healed the sick. The power of God was transferred. Oh, this is so glorious. I want to go back to Acts for a moment. Acts 19. Verse 11 and 12. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. By the hands of Paul. The power of God was released through the hands of Paul. Acts 19.11. But look at verse 12. That from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs and aprons. And the diseases departed from them. And the evil spirits went out of them. The anointing was transferred not only through the hands of Paul, verse 11, but through the body of Paul. So that from his body, from his body, from his body, it's amazing here. They brought handkerchiefs and aprons, and that anointing was released through his body upon the piece of cloth. That's called a special miracle. God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, brought unto the sick handkerchiefs, aprons. Diseases departed, and amazingly, demons left when the handkerchief or apron touched them. But notice, he did not ask for an offering. Now, we find through the hands of Paul, in Acts 19.11, we find through the body of Paul, Acts 19.12, but also we find not only through the body of Paul, but it's also transferred through cloth, aprons, again Acts 19.12, uh, through clothing, the master himself, Mar uh, Mark 6.56, through a shadow, Acts 5.15. But here's something even amazing, more amazing to me than, than that. The anointing transferred through a piece of wood. I can understand through the hands and the body and the handkerchiefs and the aprons touching a man's body. The, even the shadow of Peter, I can understand that. But I, a piece of wood? Yeah. In 2 Kings 4, 16 through 29... Through the staff of Elisha. He said to Gehazi, he said, you take my staff and you lay that staff on the child. That piece of wood laid on the child. Is it possible? Yes, it is. Of course it is. For in 2 Kings 4, 16 through 29, we see a piece of wood that was a vehicle of the anointing being transferred. And that to me is most amazing. And even something more amazing than a piece of wood is the bones of a dead man. Second Kings 13, verse 14. 
and then 20 through 21 through the bones of the prophet Elisha. The bones of a man of God still retain the power of God. It brings me to another amazing question that I've been asked by people. They said, explain to me the, the death of Elisha. I said, well, he died in his sickness, the Bible says. But how can he be sick with such power? Ah, you don't understand. The power of God on a man flowing through a man is flowing through him, not to him. It's flowing through him, not to him. But he dies from old age. His body just wore out. Just because God anoints a man, it doesn't mean it will keep his body together forever. Because that body will one day just wear out. Just like an old car. Pieces of that body, the organs, the heart, the liver, this, are going to just quit functioning at some point in life. But God has promised him a brand new body. Still anointed bones with a sick body. It's possible for it happened to Elisha. God's power will flow for healing here. Hallelujah. For your glory is worthy to be praised. I am upon the throne. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your rich word. Your blessed promises. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Take your Bible. Let's go. Are you ready to release healing power? Hallelujah. All right. Let's go. Exodus 15, please. At the end of this, of this teaching, we're going to see healing power released here. In Exodus 15, 26. And the Lord said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. What a mighty guarantee. We know that by heart, mighty promise. In Mark 16, 17, and 18, we read, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Mighty promise. 
God said, I am the Lord that healed thee. Didn't say I was, didn't say I will be, didn't say I may be. I am, I am, I am, ever, ever, ever the same. They shall lay hands on the sick. The sick shall recover. James 5:15. I know you know those scriptures, but the Bible doesn't say faith comes by what we heard yesterday. Faith comes by what we hear now. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. These are definite promises. Number one, I am the God that healeth thee. Number two, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Number three, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. I don't see many bees in any of these blessed promises. God is not a man. Numbers 23 verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should re re repent. What he said he'll do. That's it. Malachi 3, 6. The Bible says, I am the Lord. I change not. What God said, God will do eternally. His word is settled in heaven. I am the Lord, I change not. That is His word. God's promises are definite. God's promises are not hope so, think so, maybe so. God's promises are definite. Say definite. definite. Say it again. Definite. Say eternal. eternal. Unchanging. Now you see, you got to understand something. When God says something, that word is settled forever. It is impossible for that word to change. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all within me. Bless His name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgiveth all your iniquities, healeth all your diseases. Definite promise. You see, you must be so convinced. You must be so determined. You cannot question. You cannot doubt. God is not a man. God is not a man that he should lie. He's not the son of man that he should repent. God's promises are yea and amen forevermore. God heals all manner of disease. God forgives all sins. God heals all disease. Psalm 34 verse 19. The Bible says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth, delivereth him out of them all. Every one of them. God's word cannot be broken. Psalm 89, 34. God's word cannot be broken. That's impossible. 
I'm giving you definite promises. Why? To build your faith. To establish a foundation that is unshakable. Psalm 89. The Bible says. Verse 34. The word of God declares. My covenant will I not break. Nor alter the thing that's gone out of my mouth. When the Lord said. These signs shall follow them that believe. He meant exactly what he said. God always performs his word. Jeremiah 1.12 God stands behind his word. Heaven and earth backs it up. Now. Now we come to something very important. Do you know. I believe tonight there's going to be a release in you. Not just on you, but in you. Lift your hand and say, there's coming a release in me. Say it again. God is about to release faith. Lift your hand and say, a release of faith is coming. My soul is ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Tonight. Tonight. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Definite. They shall lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. Definite. These are definite promises. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. Definite. No maybe in that. Say the prayer of faith. Say it again. When people would walk into the meetings of A.A. Allen, he would say, you will be healed. You're going to be healed. And these men were such men of faith. They would destroy that wheelchair. Destroy those crutches. And say, now you have to walk. <laughs> Guess what? They did. But it's faith. In God. Not faith in faith. Faith in God. It's faith in God's word. His promises. I've seen that faith at work. And so will you. All right. All right. Put your hands out like that. Are you a Christian? Yes. Say, I'm a Christian. I'm a vessel of God. The Holy Ghost is in me. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's healing virtue in my life. There's healing virtue in this vessel. Now. 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 Lord my God. I ask. In Jesus, name, In Jesus' name, use these hands, use these hands. As, healing as healing instruments, healing instruments, healing instruments. I will lay hands on the sick. They will recover. They will recover. They will recover. No question about it. Not a doubt in my mind. No devil can stop me. All the devils of hell. Cannot stop me. Jesus said. 
I will lay hands on the sick. And the sick will, 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 will recover. Get a release face, brother. Say my prayer. Come on, keep say my prayer. Is the prayer of faith. 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 Now. 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 Now faith. Now faith. Now faith. Now faith. Now you see, what you just did, you are speaking into reality what this book says. They shall lay hands. Jesus didn't say they will lay hands only when they feel like it. They shall lay hands. My brother God will use you because His Word says you will lay hands on the sick. Now think what God can do with you when you agree with Him. I walked into a hospital in Miami right here years ago. A man laying in a bed of affliction named Floyd Mincy. Bill Swartz said, let's go pray for him. I said, Bill, I'm tired. I had a morning service and I have another evening service and I'm not going. Oh, yes, you are, he said. I said, Bill, I'm tired. I just preached in the morning, Bill. I said, I got to go rest so I can be ready tonight. No, we're going. Now we're gone and we're in the car down the highways here in Miami. And a big truck throws oil all over the windshield. And he can't see what is going. I said, see, Bill, it's God's will that you take me to the hotel. He said, no, that's the devil that threw all that oil. It's proof it's God's will to go to, the, to that hospital and pray for the man. I said, Bill, take me back. We're going because God is going to heal that man when you pray for him, Benny. Now we get lost. <laughs> Downtown Miami here somewhere. We got lost. I said, Bill, you see, it's not God's will. We're lost. He says, no, that's proof it's God's will. He said, the devil is fighting and we're gone. He got me there and I'm so tired. He didn't care. I walk into the hospital. There lays Floyd Mincy on the bed. He got plugs all in his body. His kidneys had quit working. The doctor said, no hope. Your kidneys will never work again. And I walk in there and there's Marianne and his wife standing there. I walked in. And here's the way I prayed for him. Watch this. Lord, heal him. Amen. Let's go. I was rude. I was a spoiled brat. Aha, uh -huh, it's right. I said, Lord, heal him. Amen. Come on, let's go. I'm done. Now I did it. Let's go. On the way out of the room, on the way out, I said, he's going to die. That's what I said. I said to Bill Swart, he's going to die. I said, I felt no anointing. I didn't feel God in there. He's going to die. Ha! Was I wrong? 
Three weeks later, I'm preaching in Orlando. There on the front row. Guess who's sitting there? I thought, no, it cannot be. The man should be dead. What is he doing here? I couldn't see nothing. No plugs, no nothing. After service, he comes with Mariana. He says, you remember me? Yeah, boy, was I, was I ashamed. He said, when you laid hands on me, fire went through my body. I said, really? Really? He said, fire went down my body. Ten minutes later, he said, I was pulling the plugs out. And I came out and I was healed when you laid hands on me. And my brother, the Lord reminded me, it's not my faith. It's not what I feel. It's not what I think. He said, they shall lay hands. 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 He didn't say you're going to feel anything. He didn't say you're going to feel fire on your body. He didn't say you're going to feel goosebumps on your spine. He didn't say you're going to believe in your mind. He said, just lay your hand and I'll do the rest. You lay your hands and I'll do the rest. Come on, say, Father, I give you my hands. Now do the rest. Do the rest. Do the rest. I'll supply the body, Lord. I'll supply the vessel, Lord. I'll supply the vehicle, Lord. Tonight, I'm going to lay hands on somebody here. And you will. You will. You will. Heal them. Say healing is easy. Say it again. It's a fact. People make it difficult. It's easy. Hey, it was easy when I went in there with Elam. Let's go. That's all God needed. You see, this is so easy. Praying for the sick is so easy. Nobody has more fun than me. You say, what do you mean? All I do is I surrender the vessel. I just say, Lord, here's my hands. Here's this body. All I got, Lord, everything in me, whether it's good, whether it's so-so, whether it's whatever, it's yours. Catherine Kuman said, Lord, here's a nothing. I'm a nothing. Here's a nothing. If you want nothing, here's a nothing. And God said, I'll take it. He takes whatever you give him. He'll use it. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.13, Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her. She's thy life. Get hold of God's word. Say with me, God's word, God's word. Says, says, I am the God that healeth thee. Definite, Definite. Eternal. Eternal. Unchanging. Unchanging. 
God's word says. They shall lay hands on the sick. And they shall recover. God's word says. The prayer of faith. Shall. 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 Not maybe so. Not hope so. Shall. Save the sick. That's God's word. Definite. Eternal. Permanent. Unchanging. Now, that's what I had to believe. When I read that, I said, Lord, you can't lie. You are God. God doesn't lie. He's not a man that he should lie, Numbers says. Your word is eternal. Your word is settled in heaven. You cannot break your word, Lord. You can't alter that word, Lord. You can't change your mind, Lord. I believe you. That's all. I stepped out in faith. God stepped out with me. Faith cometh by hearing. Say it. Say it again. Say it again. That's what's happening right now to you. Your faith is being lifted. Now, the Bible says in Matthew 8, 13, According to your faith be it done unto thee. Whoa, that's marvelous. You that are sick tonight, make up your mind. Decide. This is my night. I am not leaving without my healing. Say it again. Say it again. You see, when people come having made that decision, God honors that. People have come to my meetings with that decision. God honor that. Like Frances Scott, who walked up the aisle in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, and she said, my leg. A big brace around her leg, tied to her waist. She made a decision. She's not leaving without her miracle. She was so bold as to walk up the aisle and sit on my seat and say, I'm not leaving without my miracle. <laughs> Brother, that's a bold woman. What if you were preaching in your church one Sunday morning and some precious woman comes and sits on your chair <laughs> like that, a brace stuck to her, wrapped around her leg, and you don't know what to do with her? I said, can I help you? My leg. My leg. I'm preaching. About healing, she says, my leg. <laughs> Brother, she wasn't leaving that platform. She was determined, I'm going to get my healing if I have to go up and sit on a seat. My leg. <laughs> take that brace off, I said. She stares at me. Well, take it off. I did not lay hands on her. I did not pray for her. Take it off, I said. You see, the brace was covered with a pair of pants. The big metal brace was under her pant leg. 
off. Come on, take it off. She wouldn't take it off. I said, well, you came up here. Take it off. Then I realized for her to take it off, she'd have to take her pants down. <laughs> Brother, a group of women ran up there, surrounding that woman, and dear Fred Spring and others turned her back and put their jackets out like that. All on the platform. They covered her with something. And when that leg hit the floor, she screamed so loud and glorious. Then the foot hit the floor, the power of God went through her. God restored her bones. She never told me that her bones were like rubber. Her bones in there were like rubber. A disease had been eating her bones. The brace was her leg. Tied to her waist, down to a shoe. She took the shoe off, disconnected it from the brace. She took the brace off, and brother, she ran, and she ran all across the place. I never said, be healed. Never one time. I never said, Lord, heal her. I said, take it off. <laughs> brother, when she took it off, when her foot touched the floor... The power of God went through it. That's faith. According to your faith, be it done unto thee. That's what Jesus said. Matthew 8, 13. That's what happened to Floyd Mincy. He told his wife. He said, when this man lays hands on me, I'm getting up out of this bed. I had no faith. Heal him. Let's go. He's going to die. He's going to die. While I'm saying he's going to die, the fire going through him. See where my faith was. Zero. But he said to his wife, when he lays his hands on me, I'm going to get up. He joined my board, was one of the board members. His wife became my COO. <laughs> what a COO she was. Business manager for the church, brother. How long was he there? He was there for years. Floyd was with us for years. All because a man of God walked in who didn't feel like it. Heal him. God healed him when I didn't even want to pray for him. Think what's going to happen to you tonight when you will want to pray for somebody. Do you believe tonight that sickness will die? Then lift your hands and say, Father... I am not leaving, Lord, before that sickness is gone from me. Don't let your words be empty words. Let your words be faith-filled words. Be like Floyd Mincy. Be like Francis Scott. According to faith. Mark 5, 34. Thy faith has made thee whole. Matthew 9, 29. According to your faith. Two blind men came. Jesus, 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 heal us. We're blind. According to your faith. Your faith in Christ. James 5.16 The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. 
we're commanded to pray with all perseverance. This is why often people will not get a thing from God. Because they give up so easy. Brother, be a fighter. Sister, be a fighter. You are to fight sickness like you fight the devil himself. You are to resist sickness like you resist the devil himself. When sickness strikes your body, fight it off with faith. Luke 4, 38, they besought him. They besought him. Oh, this is the key that enables you to get hold of God. This is the key that enables you to touch God. They besought him. The Bible says they prayed with all perseverance. Like Ephesians 6.18 tells us, pray with all perseverance. They besought him. They prayed with all perseverance. That key that enables you to get anything from God it was in their hand. Because heaven does not respond. Heaven does not respond to half-hearted prayers. Heaven doesn't respond to hasty, thoughtless calls on God. I repeat, heaven does not respond to thoughtless prayers. Now, my brother, let your prayer be a prayer of faith. Half-hearted prayers will never be answered. Be a man, a woman who perseveres. In Mark 7, Matthew 15, we read the story of the Syrophoenician woman. I see some amazing things with this woman. Jesus had just said to his disciples, I want to be alone. And I don't want anyone to know where I am. Jesus was inside a house. You can read it for yourself. Mark 7, 24. Mark 15, 22. He was in a house by himself. He had just said, it's a secret. I want nobody to know I'm inside the house. But a woman shows up. Most men would have said, all right, I won't bother him. Not a woman. Brother, when you find a woman with a need, she'll torment you till she gets that need met. So a woman came. The Bible says she broke through. There's Jesus inside the house. And there's a woman who pushed the door. Violates his privacy. God himself had just said, I don't want nobody to bother me. Read it, it's in the Bible. The Bible says he would have nobody know it. He wanted rest. He wanted to be alone. But she broke through that door. Violates his privacy. Attracts his attention. Pressed him with her need. Presses him. You see, you got to understand, I'm giving you keys here. You got to break through. You got to do something dramatic. That woman said, I'm going to do something dramatic. I'm going to break through the door. I'm going to violate his privacy. I'm going to attract his attention. I'm going to press him with my need. That woman, when she did that, still, he ignored her appeals. She was stopped by his disciples. She was denied by the Lord. 
She was told that he was not sent to her. She was told she was an, she was an outsider outside the covenant. Yet, even when she was ignored and told, you're a dog, lady, she throwed herself at his feet. My God. My God. There's a determined woman. She broke through the door. Attracts his attention. Violates his privacy. Pressed him and said, I got a need here, Jesus. And he won't even look at her. He ignored her. His disciples tried to throw her out. Denied. She was denied. She was told, no, I am not sent to you, lady. I will not heal you, lady. Because you're an outsider. Lord! When all failed, she knew the key. If pressing him won't work, attracting his attention won't work, violating his privacy won't work, I'll fall at his feet and worship him. I will not go. I will not leave. I will not take no for an answer. They'll have to carry me out. Yes, Lord, she said. I'm a dog, all right. But surely, even dogs deserve the cramps. He said, great is your faith, woman. Be it done unto you. If a woman outside the covenant was able to break through, if a woman outside the covenant was able to press him like that, if a woman outside the covenant was able to break through the border, how much more a child of God like you? For to you belongs the covenant. To you the benefits. To you the privileges. You don't have to press him. You don't have to attract his attention. You already have. You're his children. You're his beloved. He said no to the stranger. Yet she received because she pressed. Pressed in. He'll never say no to the child. Hallelujah. We are people of the covenant. Persistence conquers all obstacles. Persistence will conquer every obstacle. That woman persisted and won the victory. God's silence, my brother, should arouse your intensity. If God's silence silences you, there's something wrong with your faith. God's silence should arouse your intensity, not kill it. You prayed, pray louder. You've called, call longer. Don't ever give up. With all perseverance, Paul wrote. All perseverance. Don't you dare give up. Reason people die early is they give up. Reason people never get healed, they give up. They give up so quickly. There will be delays. But if you persist, there will be no denials. Say no denial. No denial. Say God's word. Always brings results. 
Now, here's the key. The key is the seed of the word. Luke 8, Luke 8, 11 says, the word is the seed. You got to get that seed inside of you. See, you, you'll never give up if the seed starts to take root. Now, listen. Oh, listen. The seed is the word. Luke 8, 11. But it's not up to God what kind of ground you are. It's up to you. Oh, hear what I just said. The word is the seed. But it's not up to God what kind of ground you are. It's up to you. You decide what kind of ground you will be. Are you fertile ground? Are you hard ground? Are your ground filled with stones and rocks? Is your ground filled with thorns and obstacles? That's your decision. You see what I did? All I did is I cleaned my grounds. Because the seed will always produce if the ground is right. Is your ground right? Do you have many obstacles like doubt and unbelief? Do you have obstacles like tradition? My mom and father didn't tell me that. Other grounds of, of questions because your pastor doesn't teach it. Other questions because your theology denies it. Then your ground will never produce one healing. But if your ground is the right ground, and that's up to you, what kind of ground is your decision? The seed works. I got it works, but you gotta understand what I'm giving you. Because you see, my brother, and you see, my sister, it depends on how you receive that seed. It depends on how you hear it. Because Jesus said in Mark 4, 24, Take heed what you hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And now he said, And unto you that hear shall more be given. Unto you that hear shall more be given. Why did he not see many signs and wonders in Nazareth? Because nobody heard him. Jesus preached the gospel, the same gospel in Nazareth that he preached elsewhere. But they said, no, we don't believe it. Is not this the carpenter's son? Nobody got a, a great miracle. Just a few were healed. He did not many great signs and wonders. Why? Because they said, huh, we don't want to hear that. But if you hear right, he'll give you more. Hallelujah. Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing. That's right. And then unto you that hear shall more be given. Now, Mark 4, 24 also says, take heed what you hear. See, take heed not only how you hear, but what you hear. Mark 4, 24 says, take heed what you hear. And Luke 8, 18 says, take heed how you hear it. Faith comes by hearing. Therefore, we have to exorcise what we hear. We have to develop what we receive. We have to hear it right. Make sure you're hearing it from the right source. Hallelujah. 
and then we grow. You see, you begin to exercise your faith. That's what Hebrews 5.13 says. You exercise your faith. And then Romans 1.17 says, you go from faith to faith, from faith to faith, from faith to faith, till there's an explosion of faith. And when that explosion takes place, miracles will happen. Everybody has faith. Everybody's got faith. Lift your hands and say, I have faith. I'm a conqueror. I'm a vessel of God. I'm a believer. Jesus said, if you believe, those that believe, shall lay hands on the sick. And the sick shall, 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 shall recover. James 5.15 says, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. Say it again. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. I am a vessel of God. Say it again. Stand up and say it. Say it again. You've been listening to another of Pastor Benny's dynamic and life-changing teachings. Additional copies are available to you by writing to World Healing Center Church. Covenant partners of Pastor Benny's supply not only the daily television program to countless millions, but help to bring miracle crusades to cities around the world. If you're not already a partner, become one today by writing or calling. 